Hello, hello, and welcome to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house, indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and you're listening to part two of our Best of the Year special. Last time in part one, we talked about our favorite performances of the year, our favorite movie moments of the year, best comedies, horror films, best score, all sorts of things. So go back and check that out if you haven't. This week in part two, we're talking about the best of the best. Film critic Russell Miller and I count down our top 10 films of 2023. Stick around. Welcome to Art House Garage. On this episode, we are continuing our best of the year talk. This time we're talking about our top 10 films of the year. If you missed the previous episode, we've talked about our favorite performances of the year, our favorite scenes of the year, and our favorites from several genres and technical categories like cinematography and score, etc. It's great fun. Go back and listen if you haven't already. Uh, And now on to the next part. My guest is, once again, Russell Miller, a wonderful film critic out of North Carolina, the writer behind Miller'sMovies.com. And uh, is that the right URL? I think I may have just said it wrong. Mo- uh, yeah. <laughs> Mil- MoviesMillers.blogspot.com is my blog. But uh, I write for um, movies we texted about. Uh, you can find most of my reviews there, um, as well as like Twitter and Instagram at... Uh, at uh, Miller at Movies Millers. Perfect. Sorry, I uh, bungled your intro there, but welcome back to the show once again, Russell Miller. <laughs> Always a pleasure to have you. Excited to talk movies with you some more, and uh, it's you know we talked quite a bit on the previous uh, recording about all those different categories. A little longer than we expected to, but it was really fun. Um, and so now we're going to get into the top ten. I wanted to say a few words about subjectivity, which is just something that at, over the years of me being a film critic, I have like thought about this. And, and I was thinking, you know, in, in previous years, when I was first getting started, I think there were movies that I just felt like, oh, this is a really well done movie. And it's, you know, the craft is there. It's, you know, prominent. And I would feel like, okay, this, this deserves a spot on my list, even if I didn't personally connect with it as much. And I think my the way I over the years have kind of shifted my thinking on that is like, it really matters. Like this, this isn't like necessarily the 10 best movies of the year. It's my 10 favorite movies of the year is how I think about it. Um, so I don't know if that's how, and I think probably every critic has their own feelings about that kind of thing. But, um, for that reason, there might be things that people are like, why would he not have this on his list? And it really comes down to like what spoke to me and um, what, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've just, I guess I've leaned into that more and more over the years. So anyway, and that feels good. So I'm excited. But um, we also have a little wager going on. We're going to check in about that. At the beginning of our best of the year talk, uh, we explained this. We'll recap it briefly here. If you haven't listened to that previous talk, um, we make a wager to see how many movies we will have in common on our top 10 list because we don't know each other's lists right now. Um, we know each other's taste to some degree. And uh, so we always try to see like, Oh, we're going to have how many in common. The person who loses this wager has to buy a movie for the other. And last year I lost (laughs) and um, bought you a copy of the good boss. Um, And this year I went first because I lost last year and I guessed three and then you guessed two. Correct. So uh, we will check in at the end of this episode and see who has 
the correct answer. Or if I don't know what happens if both of us are wrong, whoever's well, closest. Somebody's, I guess. somebody's gonna be closer. Somebody's gonna yeah, be yeah, yeah. closer than the other. But... Um, I thought we'd also check in briefly, uh, just as a little reminder about last year. What was your number one movie last year? Uh, so my number one movie last year was After Yang. Yeah. Um, just a fantastic movie. Um, real, uh, a, you know, quiet film that didn't get a lot of traction, like with the award ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, Koganat is just a, such a great director and um, the world that he creates is so immersive and um yeah. You know, the, the thoughtful, reflective nature of that movie really spoke to me. And I I fell in love with that one right out of Sundance. And it stayed with me through the whole year and just um, got better. Like when I watched it in the summer, when it came out on Blu-ray, I'm like, oh, I just love that movie so much. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was my number two last year. So I completely with you. I totally loved that movie and uh, just was in love with it. My number one though was women talking, which I saw a couple of times and it just was a, a revelation to me. I, I loved it so much and um, definitely wanted to spread the word. It was the most emotional movie of the year for me last year. And uh, that was, that was my number one. Yeah. Nothing like some good religious trauma to get you revved up yes. there. <laughs> exactly. Um, I was just pulling up too. It might be good to, do you want to recap our, um, top five of the year so far. Cause we, and we kind of see, Oh, how many of these are going to be on our list again at the end of the year? Oh, you mean uh, from, from earlier from the midway, yeah. midway point? Yes. I, I should have warned you that we were going to do this. I was just pulling up mine to make sure I didn't forget anything. Um, yeah, my, my list has shifted quite a bit. I know. Yeah. Um, mine is too. Yeah. So, so my number five, I believe was dungeons and dragons. Four would have been, how to blow up a pipeline. Oh yeah. Three was Blackberry, which I know you've seen that now. I did see that and really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and then two was 1001. Mm-hmm. And then my number one movie was, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. That's right. Interesting. So we'll see if any of those stuck around. Mine briefly was at number five, you hurt my feelings. Uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus film that I really loved. Number four was Suzume, the anime film. Number three was a movie called Big Boys that played at Mentonville Film Festival. Another word about that in just a second. Number two was Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, animated Spider-Man movie. And number one was Hummingbirds, another film that I saw at Mentonville. Um, Big Boys and Hummingbirds, both my number three and my number one, are actually going to be 2024 movies i found out they are not getting distribution until next year so i have set them aside for this list so they are not going to be mentioned on this top 10 but maybe next year we'll have to see um so there you have it i think is there anything else we need to do before we get into our our lists here we can talk about the format really quickly so we're going to go counting down 10 to 1 back and forth. I think you'll I'll go first, start. maybe. Yeah. I'll start, yeah. Um, and the thing we like to do here is if, if we do have a movie in common, like for instance, if your number 10 is also my number three, when you mention the title, I will interrupt you and say, we're going to talk about that some more in a few minutes. And that way the person who has it higher, uh, and, and you will do the same for me, of course, the person who has it higher kind of gets the first word on that movie. And, and then we can kind of go back and forth about it. Um, so 
it's kind of fun too to listen to me like wait i'm cutting you off so we'll see uh how often that happens but all right i think that's everything we need to say so let's get into it our top 10 movies of the year your number 10 russell miller what is it um so number 10 uh for me is a film that is based on um actual events inspired by a true story uh which actually i've got like quite a few of those in my like i I don't know why for some reason but like movies that are like based in reality like always Mm -hmm. kind of have more of an impact to like know that there are real people Mm. behind the events that i'm seeing they always kind of um you know get me a little bit more than just a you know a, a um, a, you know, somebody that's just created a, you know, a script from, from nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so my number 10 film is, was the iron claw. Um, nice. <laughs> this movie, um, was to me, Oh man, I, there was a couple of movies that got me like, as far as like, just got me, got, got pulled some tears from my eyes, but the iron claw, probably was uh the saddest movie that for me that i saw Mm. of the uh, of the year um even though i uh like had virtually no idea about uh you know i've never watched wrestling um i've Mm. like i have no idea who the the family that it covers the uh, the von erics i had no idea who they were you know I've probably maybe heard that name once in my existence, but I couldn't have told you anything about anything to do with that film. I'm not even a a big Zac Efron guy, you know, like I Mm. I heard that he was playing the main character, but um, yeah, that movie really uh, pretty impressed me. Uh, The the director um, was Sean Durkin and uh, he tells the story of this family um, that's from Texas, uh, and they are all kind of. The, the father was known for this wrestling move, the Iron Claw, and he got his sons kind of into wrestling. Um, one of them was in the Olympics for a little while, but uh, but his father, although he was a, a caring man that provided for his family, um, he was also um in a lot of ways very uh i don't want to use the word like toxic parenting but in some ways really he was like he pushed his kids to succeed and like that drive like almost like pitting the children against each other in a, in a type of way. Have you seen the Iron Claw? I that's my regret is that I have oh, not yeah, but I've seen the trailer yeah. so I, and I know I don't know the true story but yeah, yeah, it's one of my big regrets that I haven't caught up. Well, with it's a twenty-four. Yeah. I know you'll get to it eventually, but yeah, that's uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so the father is like pushing his kids towards you know getting into the sport and and achieving greatness, kind of like he did, even though he didn't win the title like he had wanted to. Um, you know, he wanted one of his sons to accomplish that for him, and uh, and he really um like sean durkin really kind of captures how not controlling but how he was just 
um, really doing some kind of not great things as a dad, as far as like, mm. you know, again, stacking your kids against each other and trying to motivate them to succeed to that level, um, playing favorites. And mm. it really, you know, by the second act of the movie, you could tell that it had, had taken its toll on the kids, even though they did achieve a good level of like success Mm-hmm. Um, between between all of his kids in their wrestling careers, eventually it starts to really unwind and just tragedy after tragedy starts to um, occur. Mm-hmm. If, if you know about wrestling, you know the story, um, you'll know, you know what's coming. But uh, I had no clue. And so it really kind of like was pretty devastating. Um, to, to experience so much tragedy all within the con- confines of one family unit. And, uh, you know, it just breaks your heart. Um, and I was kind of surprised that A24 held it for like the Christmas season because it's, you know, <laughs> real downer. It's really kind of a, yeah, like a, a downer of a film. Not that a, a you know, a downer of a movie can't be a, a great movie, you know, like close from last year was like, my number two movie of the year, but that movie was yeah, sad. So like, mm-hmm. All your eyes out. Um, and this movie wasn't quite that bad, but it did in the end, like, you know, it had a, it had kind of a, a nice conclusion and it made me, you know, more or less reflect on the time that I have to be with my, with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that, uh, that Zach Efron uh, really impressed the heck out of me. Um, the, the father as well. Uh, the father is played by, uh, I had it right here, uh, Holtz McCallany. And he was really, he did a really good job. Uh, but Zach Efron, he got totally jacked for that role. <laughs> um, and, uh, and he really showed some proficiency in the acting uh, arena that I haven't really seen from him before. So I was, I was fairly impressed with the, with a, what he brought to the character um and uh, yeah I, I really enjoyed the iron claw despite you know the the subject matter um mm-hmm. it got me pretty good i was really surprised by that movie because i had no idea what to expect yeah yeah i don't know the true story either i've kind of intentionally not uh looked into it since i know oh, yeah. that, that what the movie is about but i it's it's one of my biggest regrets that I haven't caught up with it yet. So just a, a quick word of, <laughs> in my defense, I love being a film critic and like having access to movies early is so much fun and it's such a privilege and I never want to take it for granted. It's also really stressful when it's like, Oh, you have two weeks and here's a hundred movies, you know? And I, I think I got the screener for this, like the night before voting. I was like, there's no yeah. way I can watch it right now. Um, so, and then, then I'm, reasonable man. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I'm going to watch it. I'm really excited to watch it. Um, you know, and it's always like if, if I watch it and this would have made my list, I'm gonna feel bad. You know, you can drive yourself crazy. It's just the nature of the beast because as film critics, like there's all the movies that come out between now and like you know basically, you know they're getting limited releases, zone mm-hmm. of interest, and you know just the, the color purple. Uh, you know the the studios send us all these movies, uh, but we probably get I, I would wager 
somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 to 100 movies mm-hmm. available to us all within the period of probably less than 30 days. It didn't yeah. start this year until sometime into early November. Yeah, it was so, later this year too. So it was like, there's yeah, just, like there's we've got life. like a month, like how many movies can we possibly watch? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I, if this is my day job, maybe I could do more too. <laughs> exactly. Sadly, it's not. But That's anyway, um, back on yes. Time going to catch up with iron claw and excited to see it on your list um yeah i'm really really very excited to watch that soon well my number 10 is a movie called passages which uh is from director ira Sachs. it's a kind of a probably low budget mid-budget um relationship drama mm-hmm. it is about a man named tomas played by franz rogowski and he is a filmmaker and he's in a relationship with martin played by Ben Wishaw, who, uh, if you listen to the previous part, both of them were on my actor and supporting actor ballot. Um, and then they are in a relationship and um, Tomas at the beginning of the film uh, has an affair with a woman named Agat, played by Adele Exarchopoulos. And really it's, it's, it's very much an actor's movie. It's uh, it puts these three characters in this situation and really lets the, actors have space to to explore all the feelings of it and um tomas the main character is very you might say impulsive um very um short-sighted probably <laughs> and and just sometimes irritating. To a, <laughs> yeah, maybe irritating sometimes to like a it's almost funny sometimes like, like the scene with where he meets her parents yeah and he's you know <laughs> in a way talking a big game about commitment and we're watching thing like there's no way like there's no <laughs> way he's going to follow through with this and it's yeah. all it's it's comical but i think the film is so remarkable because it really like the, the direction and like the the script really doesn't judge him as a person it like it lets you 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 are in his psyche enough and like the performance is is good enough that you really sense like okay he's like having some shifts in his his inner life and in his desires and like he's trying to be honest with how he's feeling uh often at the expense of other people and um he is uh again like the performance doesn't judge him either so i think that's what's so remarkable about it it's like a character who like yeah like I don't want to know this person. (laughs) Like, I don't want any part of that drama, but uh, it's so fascinating to watch. And um, it just, I think it it feels very real and very human. I also absolutely love Ben Wishaw's performance in it as sort of the, um, I don't know, cuckolded uh, lover in a way. Um, But it's, it's more complex than that because things shift a lot during the film and there are some surprises that come along and there's a scene near the end that involves Ben Wishaw and, and uh, Adele Exarchopoulos that just devastated me. And, uh, yeah. and the cinematography is really gorgeous. Like the set design, they live in Paris and um, there's some supporting characters that are really interesting. Like I just was, I really fell in love with how this movie made me feel and I, I it was very emotional for me and uh, I loved it. I thought it was fascinating. So that's my number 10 movie of the year passages. Yeah, I like passages, uh, not as much as you, but uh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I really liked Ben Wishaw in in the film. Um, I just had like some issues with the way some of the characters were written. That uh, mm-hmm. man, like 
as much as the, uh, the the central protagonist that we're following is is unlikable and hmm. narcissistic and how that can be like you know really interesting to watch because again you're you, you know there's plenty of people like that in the world you know you, you got to deal with yeah. them sometimes on a daily basis um, but I thought that some of the decisions that they uh, kept making as far as like their interactions with uh, mm-hmm. his name is Tomas right. Tomas? Yes, Tomas is the Tomas. main character, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was hard to feel bad for him because I was like, yeah. come on, you can you can see this guy is obviously like a stark raving lunatic. Like he doesn't have <laughs> his, his stuff together, um, you know, and, and you're like deciding to like be with him or you want to go back to him. And, and that, it ended up being like a little more frustrating for me than sure. it was for you. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, I loved it. And I, and I, that was the interesting thing is like, I didn't hate him, even though like there are reasons that I should maybe, but I, I just, I really still, and even amidst all the stuff that he was doing, I really still felt for him. Yeah. I felt for the other more, especially Pin yeah. Wishaw. Um, oh, but, I wish I just yeah. breaks your heart with the one scene where he's in the kitchen and he's he's like cooking or he's chopping some mm-hmm, onions or something, mm-hmm, and, yeah. and uh, he's talking to him. Oh god, just devastating. Yeah. But Ben Wish is just pretty much great in everything. You know, like he, so like good. He was episode. in Women Talking last yeah. year in my number one film and broke my heart in that movie too. So just a big <laughs> fan of his. But that is Pastors. Oh, and maybe as we go, we can say where these are available. Iron Claw is going to be in theaters soon. In theaters, right? yeah. I think it, it opened on Friday. Okay. So it is we're recording yeah. this on December twenty first. So it's uh, Yeah, I think it just went wide last last or no, maybe it it might go wide today. So okay. yeah, by the time you're hearing this, you should be able to see it in should theaters. Be able to see it in theater. Yeah. And then Passages is streaming on Mubi. Mubi is yeah. a Mubi original, or like they got the distribution or whatever. So uh, that's my number ten. All right. Next up, your number nine. My number nine. Uh, my number nine movie of 2023 was The Zone of Interest. All right. We're going to talk about that movie a little later. You don't say. (laughs) (laughs) So we will move on to my number nine. um, And it is a movie called The Mission. This is a documentary. It is about a missionary. Uh, I talked a little bit about it on the previous episode because it was my favorite um, documentary of the year. And it is about a missionary named John Chow who it's not a spoiler to say, well, maybe it is. I don't know. I, I won't talk about the ending. We'll just say uh, he, th- this person is a missionary and they go to an unreached people group called the North Sudanese. And um, it, things don't go well, we shall say. And that's, you know, the, the new story has been out there for about that, but that's what um, the film ends with essentially. But what's so fascinating about this documentary I also, I said this last time, but I'll recap really quickly. The directors are Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss, who made the film Boy State a couple years ago, um, which I also really loved. Uh, and, and I've said this before, but it really is like these things are following my experiences because I attended Boy State when I was a kid, not in Texas, in Arkansas. Um, and then I was a missionary. And so like these things really just are hitting my experience and tapping into some worlds that I know very well um, by like... This film, it is talking to people he grew up with, talking to his, not not talking to his father, but his father uh, wrote a letter to the production team with kind of his feelings about his son. 
we have the his name is john chow is this the the main character his diary reading things uh and, and there's you know an actor reading his words um and we also have this there's really interesting there's this uh, a character who talks about their time as a missionary and just the way they're speaking about it i was like i think i maybe know where this is going and we eventually find out that he's an ex-missionary and has uh, not great feelings about mission work as a whole um, but we also talked to people that uh, are very pro mission work and missions organizations and people that knew john um the way i'm speaking about him in the past tense maybe i'm kind of giving away what happens at the end but um it's really last uh, when we cover <laughs> yeah that. and i said on the previous one so i think it's yeah. fine um but i think so i i really love this film because of the variety of opinions it gives um the father really does believe that his son was radicalized and um like he kind of talks about and they look at like john's social media posts of when he started going to church and um he, he feels that his son was radicalized by this evangelical church and um it is kind of a cautionary tale, I think. But I, I, I'd be curious to hear other opinions because I think that people on a variety of sides of this argument could watch it and, and not feel that they're being uh, talked down to too much. I, that's my suspicion. I don't know if that's wow. true. Um, but I think it's it's what's remarkable too because it it also it kind of honors, I have to say this, he, he dies in the end of the movie. That's the new story. Uh, it really honors his life too. Um, because I mean, there's this gorgeous animation and like the, the father has this poem about him and like, it, it really feels like a memorial to him. And it's not, um, it's, it's not, doesn't paint him as a villain. It kind of asks the question. Yeah. It, it, it says, why would he do this? And it really explores that question, but it doesn't, doesn't paint him as a villain. Yeah. I mean, you got to think about it from the, the, context of like 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 this guy went to some islands in the middle of the well maybe not the middle but like off the coast of what india like in the Mm -hmm. indian ocean like just logistically speaking think of how difficult it would be for you or me to do that and -hmm. like the drive that would have to be inside the mind of somebody to get them to do this like to yeah. go there to like try and preach to these natives about the Bible and Jesus, like all that goes on behind the scenes to get somebody to that point uh, was so incredibly fascinating. And yeah. of course, like, you know, just from our experiences uh, with religion, you know, like that, that, uh, um, you know, all that hit probably a little closer to home than it would for others. But yeah, yeah it was fascinating nonetheless. Yeah, if if as a listener you have not listened to much of this podcast before, something I talk about quite a bit is that I grew up evangelical and I'm not anymore. So my and I, as I mentioned, was a missionary and like would not do that job again in at least in the same way. <laughs> and like really do feel that a lot of mission work that happens is actually harmful. And I think that the this film really taps into that argument in a way that I you know it's not like something that's in popular culture very often. So it was like, interesting to see that. And also really explains well, you know, if you're someone who maybe feels uneasy about it, but you're like, well, why, why is it harmful? What are the actual reasons? It like, it really lays those things out and like talks about the, the, 
the disease that can be brought and like why would this people group be uh, so antagonistic to outsiders because other groups like that have been literally wiped out by one one yeah. white person showing up with diseases yeah. um it's, so it's it's fascinating and uh there's an anthropologist they speak to that is um like he's an indian man and he uh i can't remember his name but he has some of his things that he says are some of the best parts of the movie um highly recommend the mission it is if it's not already streaming on disney plus it's going yeah. to be because it's a national yeah, geographic yeah. i think yeah. it is yeah, yeah i think it already is on there um highly recommend the mission so that's my number nine very nice all right uh so it's time for your number eight my number eight film of 2023 is all of us strangers <sighs> we're gonna talk about that movie later i'm sorry to keep doing this to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. well, there's two in common already if we stop there then you'll win We'll see what happens. I don't think we're going to. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to cut you off once again, uh, but I guess Sorry. we'll now move to to my number eight, which is The Boy and the Heron. This is the new Hayao Miyazaki film, anime film. Um, you know, probably his last film. He said that about his previous one too, but he's really, he's getting older. And uh, anyway, I, fo- I saw a funny um meme the other day like so Hayao Miyazaki keeps coming out of retirement to make more movies and there's a, a funny meme where it's like a Disney executive colon like like I guess we're in a kind of a creative rut and then it's a Studio Ghibli executive it's like we cannot restrain this old man from making another movie <laughs> another incredible movie that and it said that features the freakiest little guys <laughs> and like yeah. that is <laughs> that is definitely true um so the boy in the heron was not what I expected it follows a young boy and there's also a heron um and uh the boy's name is mahito and um you know from the trailers i thought you know this looks like it's going to be kind of mysterious and like what's the nature of the relationship with the heron here it it was not what i expected at all the heron is kind of a surprise uh kind of what his nature is um but then it ends up being a sort of a fantastic journey to a another sort of plane of existence or something it's not really clear at least initially still not exactly clear to me and i I don't know if that's just just because as i said in the previous episode like there's miyazaki movies are often very dense and mysterious and like there's layers and layers that you can keep peeling back and you know have a million opinions about and that's part of what i love about them um i do love the the cute little guys in this one um i'm forgetting the names of them i think i have it here what well, is the wawa or something like that yeah the wara wara or something Wara-wara, I think. That's it. um you know kind of like the soot sprites or the um fr- from uh totoro or the uh forest sprites from mononoke like having these kind of cute little mysterious creatures um that end up having a, a bit of an impact on the story um but it really is it's about it's about grief it's about uh parental relationships and it's about kind of growing up coming of age um there's a few scenes in this that brought me to tears very quickly there are the score is incredible it was my number one score of the year uh from joe hisaishi if you've seen any studio ghibli film you know that this looks incredible still playing the theater as we're recording this highly encourage people to see it on the big screen anime especially well done anime i just love seeing on the big screen um and this you know when i found out this was going to exist you know i've been excited about this for more than a year and it did not disappoint um 
so yeah, Boy in the Heron's Might, number eight. I'm trying to think what else to say about it. It's I, it's not like there's really anything I can spoil, but there's also like so many surprises that I don't want to say too much about it. But um, yeah, it's just like all of his films had me scratching my head in the best way. And, and very, just, very abstract filmmaking, yeah. I guess, at least by comparison to what I've heard. I haven't seen that many um yeah. Miyazaki film, so I I haven't seen all of them I've either. Seen I've seen like Pondo, most of the major like ones, but, of yeah. them, but like mm-hmm. I still I've never seen Spirited Away. But I I mm-hmm. have heard that the Boy and the Heron is one of the lesser accessible ones as far as like that's true. Being able to follow yeah. the story progression is is and know exactly what's true. happening. But I you yeah. know again I I don't have a good frame of reference. Yeah, so like ones that would be a little easier to follow might be like Ponyo or um, Totoro. Um, some that are more dense, like Princess Mononoke. This would be more in that camp, I think. Mononoke is way more epic, though, uh, than this. This is a pretty... I mean, it's not a small story, because they go all over the place, and there are a lot of characters. But it's not (laughs) as grand and huge as Mononoke. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It doesn't feel as grand as, like, Mononoke or something like Spirited Away, I think. Um, I just saw Castle in the Sky earlier this year for the first time. Really, really love that one, too. And so it may be a... Maybe it's kind of on that level of like how big the story is, but anyway, it is it is one of the lesser accessible, uh, I would say, of the Mononoke or the the Miyazaki films. But really, really loved it, and uh, it came in at number eight. Very cool. So now it's time for your number seven, and I hope I don't have to cut you off again here. No, you won't. This one I don't believe <laughs> okay. you've seen. I don't believe oh, you've okay. seen this one. Maybe you have. Um, but this is a neon title that came out earlier this year, um, and it is Sanctuary. Uh, no, I haven't seen it yet. Um, this is a psychological thriller um, that is a real, um, uh, again, I don't want to call it like a low budget, um, you know, like adult drama. There is, uh, it does go into like some pretty erotic places. Yeah, um, I feel like I've seen the word erotic thriller thrown around. Yeah, exactly. Um, but basically, like, <clears throat> to... Um, so so the, the film stars uh, Christopher Abbott and Margaret, Margaret Qualey. Um, they are fantastic together. Like, they have such a great chemistry on screen. Um, but basically, the, the premise to just, like, kind of fill in a couple of blanks about what the movie is... Um, if, if you hear the word like erotic psychological thriller and you're not, you're like, not sure if that's for you. So most of the film, um, takes place all in with with just like the exception of like a couple of hallway scenes, I think in like Mm -hmm. an elevator, like it all takes place in one room. So it is very condensed. I I shouldn't say one room, but like a hotel room. And so the cameras like work into like kind of move around the different rooms within the hotel room, you know, it's like a suite or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a vast majority of the film is all in this one location. Um, but basically, so, so uh, uh, I'm trying to remember what his character is. Um, Christopher Abbott's name is Hal. It's Hal and Rebecca. So Hal is in the room, knock on the door, and it's Rebecca. She comes in. They sit down at the table, and they begin an interviewing process. This is, you know, the first mm. 10, 15 minutes of the, you know, the first act. 
Um, and so he's applied apparently to become a CEO of this hotel chain. And so she's going over all manner of questions. Um, and then she starts getting into like some really like intimate things. Like, uh, does he Mm. abuse alcohol? Does he abuse drugs? Um, when, when did he lose his virginity? Like, Mm. and like some, you know, wild questions. Uh, and then within a, few minutes of them going back and forth how he starts getting like kind of frustrated and flustered with her and you can tell that like something's wrong so he's like this this is not in the script Hmm. and at which point rebecca opens up this briefcase that she has with her and she produces some paperwork from it like she brings it out onto the table that they're sitting across from each other on. And the camera gives us a shot of the script that like everything that they've just been saying back and forth to each other is, is written down on the paper. And so we're then as the audience kind of led into this fake situation or this rehearsal that Mm -hmm. they're involved in, and but we don't know like how these two know each other and what exactly mm. this all is and and it gets really fun um basically like <clears throat> like i said it does go to some erotic places uh there is no nudity in the film but uh mm. but she becomes more of like a commanding dominating presence she starts like bossing him around um and like ha- has him like down on his knees, like cleaning behind the toilet, <laughs> like, like playing dominatrix in some way. She just like sits, she like grabs this like kind of luxurious chair and just like sets it in front of the, the bathroom door and just like kind of like kicks back and like, it's like barking orders at him to like get down and like really scrub like right behind the toilet tank. <laughs> and, uh, and it's pretty pretty wild uh where things go and it really becomes kind of like a power struggle Mm. between the two like they're trying to get a leg up on each other um but to say that this movie had the most unlikely outcome imaginable like the end of this movie (laughs) was truly a thing like it was glorious I loved it so much. Um, The screenplay was just so good, Um, you know, and how it had that kind of layered and like almost a meta quality to it. The writing, Mm -hmm. I loved it. The two performances. Uh, But yeah, like for my money, like Fair Play and Sanctuary were both really great. But the ending of Sanctuary put it over the top for me. And that was my, that was my uh, go-to like kind of psychological thriller mm. with that sexual tension mixed in there. Uh, that's the one that I preferred. Uh, so give Sanctuary yeah. a try if you get a chance. Definitely need to. And you know, another one. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, uh, it's on VOD, right? I think you can yeah. rent it online. Uh, definitely one that's been on my list as well. And you know, it's funny. I really liked Fair Play. Yeah. Um, but I, I, my one qualm was kind of the, the very ending of it. And uh, so 
yeah, good to hear that this one has a great ending. So I definitely need to check that out very soon. Very cool. To each their own. I loved the ending so, so much. It just made me so happy. <laughs> so give it a shot. Yeah, definitely excited to check it out. Well, my number seven is a film called All Dirt Road's Taste of Salt. Oh, wow. This is another A24 release. I really loved this movie. Um, it's, I think when you and I were texting about it, you you compared it to uh, like Memoria or something. And I think I, to a degree, I agree with that. Like just because it's very much like slow cinema, yeah. um, the camera's going to just hold on something for a long time. And, um, but not, not in a frivolous manner, which is sometimes like, I enjoy slow cinema, no matter what kind of, if, as long as I'm, you know, awake enough for it, um, but, but it's, you you fell asleep for it. <laughs> I, um, I, I did actually have to split this one in two just cause I started it kind of late. Um, <laughs> but I mean, almost all of a peach of Paul and Ethical's films, I've, yeah even the ones I've watched multiple times, I've fallen asleep here and there, yeah. but he invites that. So anyway, I think it's fine, but yeah. I'll say in this film, like the long pauses all felt intentional and like with, like they were full of emotion for me, like almost all of them. Yeah. I was like, the longer this sits here, the more I'm feeling this situation. Yeah. And I was so impressed by that. Um, it's directed by Raven Jackson and the story is it's following. Yeah. Yeah, director of the first, first film from Raven Jackson. So impressed by that. Um, it's following the life of a woman named Mackenzie. She goes by Mac. And um, she's a woman of color living in Mississippi. And it's hard to... I'm actually not even sure what exactly the time frame is. But it's also because this film essentially... The, the timeline is all it's, over the place. It's non-linear. That, yeah, it's non-linear. Yep. It's, and so you'll have a scene where she's like four years old and having an experience with a friend. And then now she's in her thirties and something's going on. Now we're jumping back to her teenage years yeah. and kind of uh, keeping up with that is I think a lot of the, what was so interesting about this film and it tells a story. You know, I thought about the, the little women, Red Wigg's little, little women adaptation, because that's one that jumps back and forth with timeline and, yeah. and does so, so artfully that like, you've seen already what happens here and now we're going back and it's more impactful because we already know what's going to happen. Like those kind of things are happening. There's a lot of layers to the story. Um, but it follows kind of her love life, um, just kind of her, her relationship with her parents. And, um, it, it, it really just, you get a sense of her whole life in a way. And like one of the most moving scenes is if she walks up to the riverbank and is like touching the, the soil under the, water and then it starts to rain and it's just like so there's the nature aspect that we're really sitting in and experiencing too um there's a scene in the church that has like a some gospel singing that carries on and like even within that scene things jump around a little bit and i was just so impressed by it and it you know came out of nowhere like i had heard you know this is a movie that a lot of people are liking you should check it out and it just uh blew me away as you know my favorite definitely my favorite slow cinema thing of the year um and from a director i you know have never heard of before and, and none of these actors i'd heard of before i mentioned in our favorite scenes of the year uh early on there's a just a hug scene where she's oh, hugging yeah. this man that she um we have just seen you know again we've jumped back and forth and so like we kind of know what becomes of their relationship uh, or we kind of figure, we kind of piece it together. You're ha you're having to constantly piece things together too, which is, I also enjoyed about it. Yeah. Um, but like, it's like oh, they they haven't seen each other in a while and they're embracing. 
and then like they just keep hugging and this camera just it feels like it goes on for five minutes it's probably you know minute and a half or something <laughs> but it's like the more and it's like the, the way they're touching each other uh is like in that performance you're gaining new information about how they feel and it i just was so moved by it so that was my number seven all dirt roads taste of salt i actually don't know if this one is maybe it hasn't hit theaters yet i'm not sure um, look really quick on just yeah, i don't know it, it, it made the festival circuit but i don't know yeah. that it's released widely um but it's, i wonder if it's going to be an early next year like a, like for oscar season kind of thing i don't know but if, i don't even not know if it'll anymore. get that much traction just because even like uh, even like memoria you know like that movie is because it's <clears throat> this is very much not a general audience type of movie um you know that this is definitely kind of more of like the art house cinema um you know that, that will be kind of tuning in for this one uh mm-hmm. even even like for myself like i had a i i struggled to connect with this film just because the story is non-linear and it bounces around quite a bit um and it is and it is very slow um but it is gorgeous i mean it's like and it, and it kind of boils down to the the old adage, you know, like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. You know, like some people are going to look at this and and think it's a masterpiece, and I can see the yeah. beauty in it. But you know, like just like you know, if somebody gifted me the Mona Lisa and told me I could <laughs> never sell it, you know, like okay, cool, uh, I would like. <laughs> bring it out when like I have company over as like a talking point, but like I have no, interest. you don't like looking at it that much. <laughs> I was going to say like, I don't, I wouldn't just like hang it up in my bedroom to just like look at every day. <laughs> um, so I can appreciate, I mean like the cinematography in that film was like the, mm-hmm. the use of hands. Um, oh yeah. There mm-hmm. was a specific scene where, um, where Max mom and dad are dancing to yeah, oh gosh, um, that's a great scene. if I was your woman by Gladys Knight and the pips. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like just holding hands and just kind of like caressing each other's hands that I was like, this is, this is utterly fantastic. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of shots of like hands, they're like touching, you know, different things or caressing mm-hmm. um, a lot of camera work focuses on, on uh just people's hands um yeah. i found very interesting but uh yeah i mean certainly you know if you think it might be up your alley give it a shot um but uh you know very very pretty film to look at yeah completely agree and i also want to mention briefly like that the central performance from mac who uh i gotta look at the actor's name really quickly uh charlene mcclure and, I, and again there's like child actors as well playing the same character so that's sort of like the uh 20s and 30s age mac i think is is who that actor is really really impressed by that performance as well uh and you're right that dancing scene between the parents is so interesting and like her relationship with her parents and and kind of what goes on over time with her parents is so interesting because like we already at that point have a sense that her relationship with her father is uh, like strained in some ways yeah but here she is observing like her parents really are in love and like they have, yeah. they're having this kind of sexy dance moment, you know, they're at a family party. It's not inappropriate, yeah. but it's, um, you know, she's just observing them in love and like, it's so beautiful to like, yeah, just think about her experience. Yeah. 
I agree. Absolutely loved that it just sat with us, uh, with her in those moments. So, yeah. yes, loved Alder Road's Taste of Salt. Um, and I wish I knew when it will be available, but um, hopefully pretty soon. But yeah, so that was my number seven. So your number six. Sorry, number six. Um, so this movie is not available yet. It comes out, I think, January 4th. It will be available to stream on Netflix but that is another true story, um, Society of the Snow. Mm, nice. Um, yeah, so I, I had vaguely kind of heard about um, this account before. Like, I kind of knew of its existence, but I didn't really know the details. It happened back in the 70s. Uh, so there were 45 passengers. Uh, most of them were rugby players that were flying from Uruguay to Chile for a match. Um, well, the plane crashes in the, uh, in the Andes mountains in October, which is kind of like the start of their spring. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. still like, you know, deathly cold. And so basically like the people that do survive, I mean, there, there are some that, uh, um, some people like die like right on impact, but like mm-hmm. uh, quite a few people survive and it just shows their, um, the, the depiction of not only the plane crash, which is like brutally realistic, but then like mm-hmm. how the like desperate conditions that these people had to endure, um, you know, really blew me away. So, so the director, uh, this film is all in spoken Spanish, so it's not an English film, uh, but it is from J.A. Bayona, who directed um, a couple, like almost two decades ago now. He did that impossible, the impossible movie, mm-hmm, yes, with uh, Ewan McGregor about the like the title, or no, it was about the 2004 earthquake. I don't think the movie, is yeah, but I think it was like. I want to say it's 2011. I don't know. 2010 or 2011. Yeah. yeah. But uh, the movie's not a, the event is that it's based on. But yeah, the tsunami that struck. Uh, yeah. So so the director, I feel like with that movie, he really got a good sense of how to direct, like kind of like a, a devastation sequence. Like the, mm-hmm. the plane crash is all like so intense. Mm-hmm. Um and it, it really doesn't pull any punches as far as just like showing the like brutality of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like subsequently uh, an avalanche that like comes down and basically buries everybody that like survived. Um, mm-hmm. This is like maybe like a week or two after the, the initial crash. But so, so the screenplay that I really loved uh, kind of breaks up these sequences of like, while they're just struggling to survive and, you know, they're, they're like hovered, hovering together, like shaking, trying to like stay warm as best they can, but like intermittent to these uh, sequences of them, like basically trying to live is, um, is some like really, quieter moments where they like, cause it's mostly men that, that are on this rugby team that, that survived this, this crash. Um, 
where where like they have moments where they're like connecting with each other and the camaraderie mm-hmm. that they like kind of build and they're like fight to survive and you know the decisions that they have to make as kind of like a whole to they, they have no food they're starving to death after a week or two just to like again kind of get in the headspace of what it must have been like to go through those um like insane like scenarios are just you know it, it breaks my mind to think about them but uh but i really thought that uh you know, the, the story and the way that it's structured every time that somebody, um, dies, like from the opening plane crash sequence. And then through like the movie, it, the, there's like some on-screen text alerts us to like who it was and how old they were. Mm. And most of these guys are real people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Most of these guys are like, you know, early twenties, you know, they got their whole lives ahead of them. And, uh, you know, it, it just, it, it is, soul crushing um and especially there's one guy that the movie he's kind of the star of the film his name is uh enzo uh vagranic i don't know if i'm saying that correctly but he plays the character numa and numa is trying to be a lawyer he's not even a rugby player but he went with them just because he's friends with some of the guys and he kind of does some of the voiceover work for the movie and like telling the audience about this event. Mm, okay. And you really kind of get invested in his character at one point, And I nominated him in, in our critics group uh, as one of my favorite performances, but like supporting, cause this is really an ensemble work. Mm. Like the whole cast is fantastic. Um, but he, at one point, like after these guys have been starving to death, for like three or four weeks, um, a couple of them make it over to, they find the tail of the plane, which is, you know, like some hours walk away. They have to like go venture and find it. And they bring back some, they find, go through some luggage and they bring back some like food, cigarettes, and they find some chocolate. And they give this, this guy, Enzo, that is the actor's name, uh, Numa, who's playing Numa. They give him a piece of chocolate and like, as soon as he puts it in his mouth, um, you you can tell like the experience that he's having. All of a sudden, he gets something like sweet, you know, like that was such an incredible piece of acting. I almost brought it up in movie moments last week, but uh, um, you know, it's not really like a spoilery thing for the film. But I thought he did such an incredible, like you can tell he's like almost welling up and about to cry from from like just putting a piece of chocolate in his mouth. I'm like, that's some damn good acting. (laughs) But yeah, I love Society of the Snow. It's an excellent, excellent uh, foreign foreign language film. Uh, The makeup work again with like the chapping of the lips and like Mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, when uh, they're sunken faces from the extreme, weather conditions and the, the the starvation that they're under is some incredible i mean it just left a, an impression on me um so check it out when you get a chance to uh come up soon here on netflix yeah it was one that i actually didn't even get a screener for and i kind of just became on my radar really towards the end of yeah the last like few weeks here um and i know it was a late edition for you too i, I believe right yep. i had this- yeah so like get in touch with Netflix and be like, Hey, can you send me this? Cause I really want to see it before my voting. So I'm glad I got to check yeah, it out. Glad you did. That's great. 
that'll be on Netflix soon. Um, and that was your number six. Yes. So my number six is one you've mentioned already, The Zone of Interest. Mm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, sorry to cut you off about this before, but this is a film from director Jonathan Glazer, whose previous film, Under the Skin, I really, really loved. Um, and when I found out he was making a Holocaust movie, I thought, what in the world is this going to be? I knew it would be unusual. Uh, and it is. Uh, but it's based on a novel. Um, and basically what's unusual about it is it's a Holocaust movie where we don't see the Holocaust happening. Um, we are following a family who lives just outside of Auschwitz, like literally right over the wall. The husband of this family is actually the, like the head of Auschwitz. Um, and like, there's some issues with his job as the film goes on, but, um, they live in this house. It's a very nice house. Um, and, uh, we kind of follow their, simple life um and all the while we are hearing so we don't we don't see any violence but we're hearing it it's all in the sound design and it's uh just the more it goes on and the more it wears you down and the more i mean when you first told me about this film you talk about like the pit in your stomach that just grows and grows um and it's really an unusual experience uh and the reason i ultimately thought this needs to go on my list is um because, I mean, the ending I won't spoil, but I think it has a fantastic ending. Um, but I, it struck me that this is a an experience, a story about, you know, this real, you know, one of the very darkest moments in human history. Yeah. It's a, a telling of that that could only be experienced cinematically. You know, like yeah. it's based on a novel, but reading the novel isn't going to feel the same, you know, as like using the language of cinema to, to do this and um, to just like it, it's so it, it's, it's about how much how much are we able to ignore as humans you know yeah. because they're they're hearing this all the time and it's interesting that they clearly are very used to it um just a part of life but then when uh his mother shows up like there are some characters we see that um are a bit more <laughs> like what a viewer of the film feels like horrified um yeah. and uh there's also you've mentioned uh before that there's like these strange like infrared sequences where there's like someone going around at night um, which look very odd and you know thinking about um the the very strange visuals that we got under the skin you know we're going to get something totally weird (laughs) from jonathan glazer um and so those sequences are really interesting but there's a through line to all of them, which you kind of put together like towards the end. Yeah. What mm-hmm. the reason why these scenes are being shot the way they are. That yeah. was really kind of interesting. Yes. I really appreciate that as well. Directorial decision there. Yeah. Um, and again, just, yeah, the, the, the uniquely cinematic experience of um, putting us, I think, as you said before, like a, a very unique angle into uh you know, a Holocaust movie. Um, it's, it's, I, I think this is a film that like years from now, I'm still going to like think about. And like, yeah. this is, uh, so it felt like for that reason, it deserves to be on my list. Exactly. It's, it's not a film I, I enjoy <laughs> watching. Yeah. Right. But it's, it feels like one that is, um, and that's, I think, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, that's what's so interesting that when we're talking about like the movies we love of the year, mm-hmm. um, there, there's a balance there because like, this was my number nine, movie that like i find this movie completely and utterly fascinating like getting Mm -hmm. a sneak peek inside the minds of people that can be 
not even like intentionally like cruel to other people, but just complicit with the suffering of other people. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like you just have like numbed yourself to it somehow. Um, but I, I like, I was just riveted by this movie, but it's so dark and bleak. Uh, you know, I've, found it like even now when i talk about it like it's hard for me to say i really love zone of interest even though i kind of really love zone of interest (laughs) you know like um like i do like some of the other movies on my list like i love love those movies but this is kind of more of like a i respect the hell out of glazer Mm -hmm. and what you know this film in general what he was able to do with this you know, unique piece of history and shifting our attention from one aspect of it. Like, you know, like life is beautiful type of a, mm-hmm. you've, you've seen life is beautiful. Yeah. I really okay. love that movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Like that, an incredible movie. <laughs> uh, but like shifting from a, that typical type of a story about the Holocaust to, you know, make us look at this from, you know, a different perspective. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, this is just, I said, I think on the festival, the film festival recap show, like this is an important movie that everyone should see and seek out when you can. It's not available widely yet. It won't be released, I think, in theaters until next month, like when it goes wide in the middle of January. Yeah. But uh, it'll start popping up more and more uh, for people to be able to check out. The sound yeah. design too. Got to got to say something that that was just some incredible work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The sound design in the movie, um, you know, just blows you away. I hope it gets some Oscar love. Yeah, absolutely true. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's funny thinking about like these are not the films that I necessarily enjoyed the most. Maybe that I was most impressed by, and it was like because this really I found very affecting, and yeah. uh, I think it's also interesting the way that it is kind of implicating. You know, it, it really causes you to think like, okay, what are the what are the atrocities that are happening right now that I yeah. am completely ignoring, you know? And so I think it's, it's looking at human nature in a way that is sort of uh, invites that sort of self-reflection too. So yes, very impressed by zone of interest. And uh, that's my number six of the year. So here we are hour in and we, we have five more to go. So, <laughs> um, what is your number five movie of the year? My number five movie of the year was another movie that's basically based on uh, a true story, was Priscilla. Nice, uh, yeah. I love Priscilla so much. Um, you know, the, the, we, we talked about the one scene yesterday uh, when uh, Priscilla and Elvis share the first kiss. But, like, the movie as a whole, it really kind of um, encapsulates, like, the whole, uh, like, when you're young and in love like kind of tone and spirit, uh, you know, that first of all, the, the film is visually stunning. Like the, mm. the sets, the production design, I've, I've actually been to Graceland. I don't know if you've ever nice. visited. I haven't. No, but, I want to badly now after watching this and Elvis last year. Yeah. Well, I mean, they basically did like a, a they, they reconstructed the house up in, I think they built it in Canada somewhere. Toronto uh, is where the filming took place. But the, the replica of the house is, like, immaculate. As soon as she walks in the front door, like, I remember walking in the front door to Graceland because I just did it, like, three years ago, and how the rooms open up to the right and to the left. 
And when mm-hmm. she walks in, um, you know, that experience of being like in Elvis's house, like I've had that experience. And mm-hmm. when I saw her do it, it was like really kind of like, whoa, that's that's wild. Uh, they they cool. they uh, they really nailed, you know, that aspect of the film. But uh, but to like put yourself into her shoes and to like go through like the whole like not just being young and in love, but to like have a, a celebrity crush and then like get a chance to like mm-hmm. meet them and then they're interested in you and then like, wow, they want to like, you know get together with you and hang out like what a trip of a movie (laughs) yeah and i love that it captures those you know those vibes so well um and obviously like you know i I really didn't know much about like the the true story behind it um you know behind priscilla's life how basically she was more or less like a a pet for him like she just Mm -hmm. stayed in graceland Mm -hmm. and was there like whenever he came home, like she was just there for him and she didn't really like go with him on his, to his movie sets and do, yeah, you know, life with him. She was just there whenever he got home and uh, what a kind of sad existence that turned into mm-hmm. for her when at the mm-hmm. outset, you know, she was just on cloud nine from it all. And uh, I really thought that Sofia Coppola did a, you know, a fantastic job in, you know, talking and explaining those situations. And of course, she had great help from Jacob Bellorti and uh, 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 what was the girl's name? Uh, Kaylee Spain. But both of those two are, are delivering some fantastic performances. The costumes, the hair and makeup, all of it is beyond stunning. Uh, and, and the movie... You know, it's, it's like a, almost like a dream, you know, like a beautiful yeah. dream um, that, you know, happy to get swept up in. Uh, I, I loved watching it. And uh, now that I finally got the, the screener for it, I'd like to watch it again now that my my 2023 yeah. watching is kind of winding down. <laughs> yeah. I love that movie, too. And not on my list, but I really thought it was great. And uh, I think... First of all, it just feels like a perfect pairing of director and material. Like yeah. it's such a perfect thing for, for Sophia Coppola to make. Nails about the like spirit of like that youthful yeah. exuberance. Mm-hmm. So good. It's like the excitement of that. She's good at that kind of thing in other movies, and also like the loneliness yeah. that comes later. Just and like the use of music in it. You talked a little bit about that in favorite movie moments. Um, yeah. Like the all of the needle drops are so Great good in this. Like, and I think she's married to the the guy from Phoenix, uh, Thomas Mars. I think his name is, and I think he did. He's like the music supervisor oh, yeah. or something. And he's like scored some of her films before, uh, but always impressed with the movie, the music in her movies too. But yeah, big fan of that, and also just. It's like, again, I didn't, I didn't really know the story at all either. And I, I think I like the Elvis movie with Austin Butler a little more than you did, but it's like okay. I, this one is, I still prefer like this very unique angle into the Elvis story, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but you're just so caught off guard with what he's like and how like yeah. soft-spoken and gentle he is initially. And um absolutely see why she would be taken with him. But yeah, you're right. Like when she's not allowed to leave the house and like, like learning about his tabloid romances and stuff yeah. alongside the rest yeah. of the world, like how devastating, devastating those things are. So, so good. Yes. Big fan of Priscilla. 
uh, and that one. Now, did you like might... Elordi? Did you like Elordi, or did you like Butler better? Um, wait, who? What? Okay, so so Jacob Elordi plays Elvis. Oh, Austin Elvis. Butler, Austin Butler. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's such different performances. Like, yeah. I feel like Austin Butler. Like, <laughs> I saw a funny tweet about this actually too. It was like Austin <laughs> Butler sold his soul to the devil to play Elvis, <laughs> and like worked so hard, and then Jacob Elordi showed up and had never heard of exactly. Elvis. <laughs> like he literally said in an interview that he learned about who Elvis was from Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> Which is so funny. And he gives right. such an incredible performance. I don't know. They're so different. It's hard to say one's better or worse. Right. But I, I really, I, the one I enjoy watching more probably is Jacob Elordi. And I said this previously on the previous episode, but like I watched Saltburn and then this as a double feature. So it was yeah. like the night of Jacob Elordi. It's like, man, this guy's great. So yes, big, big fan of him and big fan of that movie. <laughs> but, and I think it might still be in some theaters. If not, it's going to be on VOD soon, I would yeah. imagine. I think, I think it's available right now. I think it dropped okay. not too long ago. Yeah, you can rent it now pretty much anywhere. And that is Priscilla. Big uh, recommendation for both of us. Um, so it's time for my number five, which is the movie Poor Things. Um, I really loved Poor Things. This is Yorgos Lanthimos uh, at, I want to say at his weirdest. That's probably not true, though. All of his movies are very weird. Um, but I think this this movie probably is a little more accessible than some of his other things. Um, maybe more than like The Favorite or The Lobster. But uh, this movie is sort of a twist on a Frankenstein story. Um, it's it is based on a novel, um, but again, like takes that source material and makes it incredibly cinematic. Uh, he so the story is that um, Willem Dafoe is a famous surgeon named Godwin something. I can't remember Godwin Butler, I think. But uh, his nickname is God, which is, you know, a very, yeah. obviously a very charged nickname yeah. that kind of comes up again and again in the movie. Um, and he has uh, all sorts of strange, you know, animals in his house, like a, a duck that's mixed <laughs> with a pug and like strange things like that. Um, and he has this young woman, Bella, played by Emma Stone in my performance of the year. Um, and she, uh, I think I can go and say this, the premise of what we learned in the first little bit. Yeah. Basically, because of a f- sort of a freak accident or a very unusual situation, he saves her life by putting the brain of an infant into her head. <laughs> so she's an adult woman with, you know, the mind of an infant. And so she progresses very quickly. And he has one of his um, students, played by Rami Youssef, um, kind of following her and taking notes about her, her progress. Yeah, documenting her. And um, she does progress very quickly. And it, it ends up being you know, a story that, you know, I've seen many variations of this where we have an outsider commenting on human society and, and like uh, you, maybe it's an alien or a Frankenstein monster or something. There's a lot of stories that do this kind of thing, but this is a very feminist version of that, which I really appreciated. Yeah. Um, she, she, um, her relationship with sexuality is a big part of the story, a bigger part of the story than I expected it to be. I told my wife after I watched, I was like, I did. I was not prepared for how many sex scenes this movie has, um, but and a lot of them are really funny. Uh, but she has some feelings for one man, and then another man, Mark Ruffalo, kind of sweeps her away, um, and she wants to see the world. And um, later, she learns about philosophy, and she learns about um, suffering and. Uh, there's there's all these things where she's kind of like experiencing new things um, all with these 
sort of childlike eyes and like doesn't understand why people are so hung up about sexuality and doesn't understand why um someone like a why men have this feeling of ownership towards their wives and like and it's like calling out these systems in this yeah. kind of funny way um Toxic but like <laughs> yeah exactly yeah the 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 very i won't spoil the ending but like there's a kind of a coda like a uh a very ending thing that happens that you don't expect someone shows up and like that whole sequence was really fun to watch. Cause I was, I was getting to the end. It's like, okay, we're winding down and they, Oh, there's a whole new thing that's going to be in, in, yeah. introduced here. And I was like, I don't know if I have the energy for it, but then it's so good. Like I love that last section. Um, but so like the story is fantastic. And, and I think uh, like the writing of it is so good. Oh yeah. Performances it's, across the board. Performances are great. Then in like our comedies, like, yeah this, this i really is, almost said this as comedy of the year it's yeah, hilariously this is, funny this is my number 15 movie nice. of the year so i i really love poor things as well it breaks up like you know the because this is this is a weird weird movie like <laughs> yeah. you know anything if you've ever seen any or your ghost movie you know that it's it's wild like it's kind of out there uh, but it is absolutely gorgeous uh, mm-hmm. But any, you know, like the weirdness of it all is offset with the script that is just a banger because, again, even if you're like kind of disconnected from like some of the stuff on screen or, you know, um, it is like a little intense for some viewers for like like some of the sex stuff, but it's got that comedic mm-hmm. element that it's like juggling back and forth and it is, uh, it's just, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's, you'll get some laughs out yeah. of it if it's your cup of tea poor things is, is, is a good time absolutely i felt that was so creative like on the script level on the the production design the costume design the hair and makeup yeah. all of that uh, like willem dafoe's face is very unusual looking he's yeah. got like scars and stuff like he's, um he's stitched together like yeah like he's a, his yeah. father experimented yeah. on him when he was a child and stuff um yeah just creative on every aspect and and thematically really worked for me as well and comedically too like i think my favorite comedies are the ones that uh, have are, are thematically rich as well. Um, and so, yeah, this definitely was way, way up there for me. Um, my number five film of the year, four things. Very cool. And now it's time. And that one is in theaters now, I believe. Yeah. I think it went wide December 8th or something like that. So it should be available. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. Next up is your number four. Number four. Number four for me was big blockbuster movie of the summer barbie nice really <laughs> no, nice. Oh, i thought you, I thought you were being serious Oppen, well, oh, I mean, great cool. barbenheimer experience i did get a full barbenheimer experience i went to see both movies after i'd seen them each separately i went and had the full barbenheimer experience all in one day i went time. to see it in imax again for a second time and then went to see barbie wow. um but uh yeah, uh, I love Oppenheimer. It's such a great movie. Um, so if if like I didn't know I didn't know that much about uh, I don't know why like <laughs> I don't know if I just like yeah missed, I felt the same way like how do I not history? know this history like yeah. I, I knew yeah. like that Manhattan Project was was uh, you know just like the creation of uh, you know the the atom bomb the atomic bomb um, but I didn't know all the details behind it and like I didn't know they basically like built a town out in New Mexico for not only the creation of the bomb, but for this movie. Um, yeah. You know, I was like Manhattan project. Yeah. They probably just some building out in New York. They built them in, in Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but no, like 
the the story of um, you know basically the not like the only mind behind the device, of course, but one of the mm-hmm. primary men that was um, you know trying to make that happen. Uh, like that movie, like really fascinated me just from the outset of learning uh, so much about history. <clears throat> so this is another movie that's non-linear. So it yeah. really takes a couple of views to really kind of understand how the film is structured and what information you're getting um, like as the movie progresses. Um, but, uh, but basically like, you know, to understand how the, you know, the creation of the bomb comes together, the different minds that are at work, the U S government's involvement in making this, you know, happen as we're racing towards beating Germany to the creation of, you know, this device. Um, and even though the movie is like, I think it, I think it hits the three hour mark a little over. Uh, it really doesn't, you know, wear out its welcome. Uh, I was, I was pretty captivated through the entirety of the film up to, you know, the Trinity test where they actually like test the device out. And that is like one of the cinematic experiences of the year, along with it, you know, the one that you mentioned, which happens almost immediately afterwards is, you know, the, the film does such a great job of like creating these moments of impact where you realize that the world is now forever changed. Like whatever it was like 80 years ago now, 70 years, uh, more like, more like, yeah, 80 years ago, it would have been that like the, the world did not have like humans did not have the ability to wipe themselves off the planet, but now they do. Now do. Now (laughs) that we have that capability, we can remove ourselves from the annals of history. Um, you know, like what a wild turning point in the, you know, the history of this planet. Uh, and it really like lets those moments kind of sink in, especially, you know, after Oppenheimer and his team have worked tirelessly for the years to create these devices. And then you have to watch as like in this like vehicle, drives off with the with the two bombs that will eventually hit Hiroshima and Nagasaki and you realize like he no longer has any say in what happens with these Mm -hmm. like you know how many people will die what is you know like they've created these things that cause utter destruction and just like watch them kind of more or less like drive off into the sunset there's not actually a sunset there but you know, you get the idea and it really just kind of like sinks in like, Oh God. Um, you know, what, what a, what a crazy moment again in human history. Uh, that would have been the cinematography is so amazing. The editing, some of the quick editing when it's kind of like when he's in college and it's revealing to you that he's got these insights into the, the atomic world, um, and that he's thinking on these different quantum physics levels. Uh, I thought the editing of, of those sequences was fantastic. Um, you know, again, great script. Uh, just Nolan's direction is otherworldly. Um, but yeah, Oppenheimer, I just loved that movie so much. And uh, uh, again, a lot of those 
themes resonated with me that last the final shot that it leaves you with mm-hmm. um you know just really again sucker punches you and leaves you like bent over for a few minutes like oh what have we done <laughs> yeah uh, yeah great movie mm-hmm. love Oppenheimer so much Totally agree. Really loved it as well. Did not make my list, but it was definitely in the running for it. Um, and actually, I'm going to tell you now, This my association, Sefka, Southeastern Film Critics, this was our number one. And I, I think oh, yeah. it swept most of the categories, actually, too, for Best Actor for him um, and, and oh, a yeah. couple others, director and all those. Um, yeah, so I really appreciated Oppenheimer. Um, and I agree, like, it is such a lengthy movie, but the editing and the pacing are so good. And I, I really loved the Robert Downey Jr. uh that whole part of the story as well and how that plays out oh, i thought yeah. was really really thrilling as well and it, yeah. it feels very i think you said this like nolan-esque about like jumping between different stories and like how they all kind of converge yeah um so i have a great use of it because like i like that about his films but then like tenet for instance didn't really work for me yeah uh, so like but like this feels like a perfect maybe kind of like priscilla a perfect match of yeah director and material, material yeah. um so I'm a big fan of that one as well that was your number four. Number four. Uh, that one's on Blu-ray and everything yep. rented and all that. Um, my number four is Past Lives. All right. I don't know we're, if you might interrupt me on that one. <laughs> okay. We're, we're gonna, I love Past we're Lives. We're going to talk about Past Lives in just a minute. Oh, we are. Okay. 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 <laughs> all right. <laughs> which, if you're, which if you're done, um, if you're done, uh, yeah, you, you won't be able to say anything more about it. So we'll be at my number three, which is Past Lives. All right, cool. Go for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, Celine Song directs this. It's a really um, slow and quiet movie about. Uh, so, so the, just to kind of set the first initial scene up, there's a man and a woman. We don't see them. They're conversing in a bar, and we watch what we're, we're seeing. What they're seeing. And that is the three main characters for past lives. Uh, there, which I should have their names handy here. Um, there's Nora, who is played by Greta Lee, and there's Heisun, and oh no, wait a second. There's see, uh, Teo no, Teo oh, Yu yeah. is the character, and Heisung is the actor. Then, yeah, um, yeah. John, I'm, John I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at uh, when he's uh, I've got the name of when he was uh, a kid uh, the the actor's the, oh, kid's, I see, I see. the kid's name uh, yeah and then where's her husband's name you, you uh, John Magaro is John Magaro. Uh, Arthur I don't even see her yeah like okay uh, but anyway so so they're watching these three at the bar and. The, the two voices that we're hearing are playing like a, more or less like a guessing game. Like, who are these people? How do they know each other? And uh, one, one comments that the, uh, the white guy and the Asian girl are a couple. And then the other guy, the other Asian guy is her brother. And then somebody else is like, well, or the other voice is like, well, maybe they're just all colleagues from work that are hanging out. And then one of them comments on, he's like, they're not even talking to the white guy. <laughs> and, uh, and so like, basically as the movie unfolds, we, we get to know exactly who these three people are. Um, so, so the, the two, um, uh, the two main people, I guess we'd say 
our um, the movie jumps back in time 24 years and we're introduced to them as kids to Nora and to Hey Soon uh, as as their kids in South Korea we get the uh, impression that they're childhood sweethearts basically mm-hmm. but Nora is getting ready to immigrate to the United States. And so they leave and that relationship is, is more or less severed, but then they reconnect when they're probably in their twenties and they kind of hit it off again, but he's living in seal, you know, in in South Korea, she's living in New York. I think she's living in New York. Yeah. I think that's right. And so they're like 11,000 miles apart for all intents and purposes, you know, like, and as they're kind of like getting that relationship back, you know, they realize that they're not going to be able to spend any time together. Like they don't have the flexibility to just like hop on a plane and travel across the world to like hang Mm -hmm. out together. And so she, you know, kind of like using her foresight decides to, stop this relationship from happening um, just because it's just going to, it's not going to really go anywhere for the time being. And so they both move forward with their lives. um, And she goes on to get married. And then eventually like they, they do the, the movie is mostly centered around like them reconnecting once again, after all these years. And uh, I don't want to like get too far into the plot, but like that's more or less like the basic premise of the film. Um, and so it explores their relationships, uh, like both both her and her uh, uh, Nora and her husband's relationship, but also like thinking about this person that she cared about so much, um, you know, when she was young, growing up, and that she really has like kind of a, a bond with from, you know, when, you know, when she was in Korea and, uh, it is, um, emotionally rakes you across the coals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Greta, uh, not Greta Lee, uh, Celine Song, uh, for this to be another, like you mentioned, uh, All Dirt Roads, but this is another directorial debut, um, that she just really shows some, impressive skill behind the camera and being able to not only like craft this story, which is, I believe based on some of her own life experiences. Um, I don't know. Not, not yeah, exactly, but a retelling, but something along those lines is what I've heard. Some, yeah, she is the writer as well. Yeah, for, exactly. So doubly um, impressive. I think for that reason, but yeah, but the, her direction and being, and being able to capture some of these moments, the long take at the end, um, yeah, just devastating. Uh, just, you know, get a knife, cut my heart out of my chest, throw it on <laughs> the floor, exactly. stomp on it a few times. <laughs> um, she, yeah, she just does some incredible work and, uh, yeah, I, I loved past lives. Such a great movie. Completely agree. I, I loved it so much as well. The, the other day, my wife was talking about she was like, what was that movie where you came home and you were so sad the rest of the night? <laughs> that was past lives. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love that movie. And it's, uh, it was like, it was like, I was, I was sad, but it was also just like, so introspective. And like, I think this, 
there's another film that we're going to talk about in a minute that has some of the most just emotional moments of the whole year for me. And this is, uh, is that movie in this one. Um, you're, I'd forgotten about how that opens and that's such a brilliant opening, I think to key us into like the, this relationship, the, the relationship with these three people is going to be really complex and fascinating. Um, I absolutely love the Arthur character and you know how he, he wants to respect her feelings. He's like, you know, I'm not going to stop you from seeing this guy when he comes to visit. Yeah. Not like that. Uh, his role and everything I, I think is so um, fascinating and, and like his insecurity with it all, I think is uh, so palpable and like so well acted. Um, but yeah, there's just so many fantastic moments. Like when they first see each other uh, in New York, um, that seems great. Like then they kind of walk around the city and talk. Uh, the relationship or like the, the conversations I've mentioned before, like conversations in, in bed with her husband, just talking about how she's feeling, how he's feeling and, and it's causing them to reflect on yeah. their relationship from the beginning. And there's also this whole concept of Inyun, which if you've seen the trailer, she talks about it and it's, you know, the concept of in our past lives, we, maybe we brushed up against each other oh, or like yeah. if someone gets married, we have 8,000 layers of Inyun and in all of our past lives we've, yeah been connected and like just that sense of which is like this cultural sense that's really fascinating and then she also you know her joke is like oh this is just what korean people say when they're trying to seduce somebody it's like that's it's like a funny under a funny thing as well but yeah the ending fantastic um the the music is really really good as well it's uh a lot of it's just kind of i almost want to say ambient it's more interesting than that that makes it sound too boring but it's um two of the people from the band grizzly bear are the which is a band I've loved a long time since college and stuff. And so it's cool that they're getting uh, this kind of work and, and doing a really good job of it. But yes, Past Lives. So my number four and your number three, uh, highly recommended. That one is also widely available. You can go buy the Blu-ray, go rent it yeah. wherever you want. Uh, I don't know if it's streaming. I don't believe it is. I'm no, sure. I'm not. sure if you can, if you can go buy the Blu-ray, you can stream it on Vudu or. I yeah. Like you can rent it. It's not, it's not like on Netflix for a streaming oh, subscription yeah, yeah, yeah. or anything though, but. I think A24 stuff is going to HBO. I was hearing recently. Oh, which yeah. is kind or of Showtime. Fun. Maybe. It, they're on Showtime now, but I think they're moving to but, Max. But it's going to be changing pretty soon. Yeah. So anyway, past lives. You're number three. three. So it's time for my number three, which is, I'm pretty sure not on your list, May, December. Uh, this is the new film from Todd Haynes. Uh, and we've talked about this a lot. And I appreciate it. Uh, a bit more than Russell did, but this film um, follows really, it follows Natalie Portman. She's the main character um, as uh, let me look up character names really quickly so I can speak um, about the characters and not say Natalie Portman a hundred times. Um, Natalie Portman plays Elizabeth. She's an actress. She's coming to study someone uh, because she's going to play her in a film. This person she's studying is Julianne Moore who plays Gracie and is married to Joe, played by Charles Melton. And the reason uh, she's interesting enough to make a movie about is she uh, is the subject of a scandal because her husband is much, much younger than her. We learn kind of gradually, like I had read the the premise of the film beforehand, but the, the story unveils it sort of gradually that she uh, was an adult, like I can't remember how old she was, in her 30s, and she got together with Joe when he was 13 years old. So, yeah. you know, statutory situation, not a not good situation. She goes to jail for it. Um, and 
later gets out of jail and they get married and have kids and have a family. And um, it is now years later, of course, and they live in this community and we just get to see how all the people around them respond to the reality that is their life. Uh, and simultaneous, simultaneously, the presence of uh, this actress, um, Elizabeth, really starts to scratch at the uh, how messed up this all is. Like they, like obviously, they've been married for years and seem like this happy family. Of course, when we first see them, not knowing what's going on, it's just like, oh, interesting. She seems a lot older than him, whatever. But then you, you, you of course, learn the truth, and then. Um, you hear how they justify it to themselves and then you start to slowly see that Charles Melton's character, Joe is, uh, has never really faced the truth of this and he starts to, and it's so devastating for him, but it's, um, it's just, I I found it so thrilling. It's like, okay, now we're going to meet her ex-husband who like she was with when this affair happened. And what does he, how does he feel about this? He has a new family now. Um, we meet one of, uh, her kids from her first marriage. Uh, we meet a few of them actually, but one of them is a, a bit of a more major character and he's so interesting. We meet the attorney that uh, represented her uh, in the court case back in the day. Um, just all these things, all these people. The store, like, the what's store the owner. The where store owner. Were, where, where they were like caught. Yeah. Cause she also hired him as an employee and like very much groomed him. Um, and the, uh, store owner the his father the joe's father what like what is his response to it all so all of that is fascinating but then it also um just leads to a, a series of scenes i've said this a couple of times now but it really just felt like just scene after scene that was so incredible and so thrilling to me um starting from this very transgressive premise of like this messed up situation like what are we gonna draw out of this and how does um elizabeth the natalie portman character her hearing her commentary to people on the phone and stuff as she's talking about it is really fascinating as well. Sure. My, my, one of my favorite scenes of the year too is a monologue that she gives where she's reading something and, and kind of preparing for her role. Incredible scene. Uh, the ending is fantastic and really kind of pulls the rug out from under you in a way. Um, not exactly. It just kind of reframes things in a way that I thought was really fascinating too. So May, December, my script of the year, and most of my performers of the year, Charles Melton, I've said in the previous episode, but he's, uh, they're all fantastic. We know Julianne Moore's great. We know Natalie Portman's great. Charles Melton came out of nowhere no, for me. You're surprised. Blew me away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Charles Melton. So, fantastic job. That is my number three film of the year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I enjoyed May, December. Like, I don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I gave the movie like a seven out of 10. So I liked it all. It was a very strange film. I think that was one of the first things that I said to you was like, man, what a weird movie. (laughs) Cause it is, it is very different. Uh, Tahane's direction is he's very, um, you know, like again, the, one of the opening sequences, um, they're preparing a barbecue and, uh, the camera does uh, like Julianne Moore after like talking with some friends in the kitchen and he's out back grilling. There's this like wild pan in shot of Julianne Moore opening up her refrigerator and just like staring inside of it blankly. And all she says is, I think we're going to need more hot dogs. 
and then, <laughs> there's this like music cue with it yeah. it's like this dramatic moment exactly it, <laughs> yeah. it's wild uh, but the the movie never like kind of carries that tone of like like kind of quirky humor throughout so it kind of like threw it, it like set me off base like right off the bat because i was like okay what are we in for here and then it like kind of like drifts into like the real serious especially like you know with the whole with with milton's character uh, with charles milton's character and like all the stuff that he's going through in the film um but like i, I kept like as we got into the second and third act um you know like trying to I kept coming back to what is what is Todd Haynes trying to say? I couldn't get a good sense of like what he was going for with it all. And given the film's subject matter, like the central premise that the movie revolves around, you know, I I thought that being that it was such a you know, basically such a despicable thing Mm -hmm. um i kept waiting for somebody to come on screen and denounce that like even Mm -hmm. though that took place now like decades in the past because portman's character basically goes around as this as the actress like you talk like you talked about interviewing people that knew them and that were there and that experienced this all like firsthand, I thought that would have been a perfect opportunity for somebody that she speaks to, to like really have it out for Julianne Moore's character and just Mm -hmm. like kind of rip into like what a terrible person she was and did like this terrible thing and, and give at least that like frame of reference of how like, you know, gross and perverse that Mm -hmm. was um but it's just more or less my opinion that like you know they didn't handle that subject matter the way i maybe like would have preferred them to Mm. but i mean the movie in its entirety kind of felt like a a puzzle that you know like a good maybe quarter of the pieces are missing and Mm. like i'm trying to get the full picture and i was hoping that the ending would maybe like kind of solidify and drop a few more it doesn't have to give me like the clear picture um but then like one final exchange i think it's the final exchange between moore and Mm. uh and portman uh, just kind of like redialed back, like okay, you know, so we yeah. don't know what we thought we knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, yeah, I did like, I did like overall, like where the ending did take it and how it kind of gives mm-hmm. you some new perspective on like uh, another aspect of like filmmaking and mm-hmm. um, you know recontextualize some things with that whole aspect of the movie. Um, but uh, but yeah, didn't quite land like i would have wanted it to um all in all uh the retro score like you know at first it was really kind of wild it's like almost like a like a 80s or 90s like crime detective yeah you know score and i find it real at first i was like this is kind of quirky and cool but then after like you've heard it for like 15 times and you're into like the third act and they like keep re-hitting this this uh this weird score is starting to get a little grating <laughs> like what what is this what am i listening to yeah i can see that for sure the score is very like overbearing and in a way that i 
think is intentional. And I, I, I here's the thing about like that that scene where we don't we don't have enough hot dogs. That's really a funny scene. Yeah. I I really do think this movie is a comedy. Like it's a dark, very dark comedy. Yeah. Um, because I was laughing a lot throughout it actually. Um, but I think what you're saying, like the movie doesn't like punish her character. Like, and maybe some people are watching and thinking like, oh, she needs to go down for this or whatever. I mean, yeah. she went to jail back in the day. Yeah. But like, but I think that's part of what's so thrilling for me is that like this whole community has this, this unspoken understanding that like, this yeah. is a terrible, horrible situation. Yeah. And like, what, but like, we also have to live alongside these people. Like what, yeah. how do we do that? Um, so I thought that was fascinating. And, and it, for me, the thematic stuff about like how much we can bury as humans and, and, or how much stuff can still come out years and years later. And um, yeah, the, I think the Charles Melton character is probably the the most interesting as far as his experience. I love the scene where he's sitting on the roof with his son and oh, they like yeah. has, <laughs> I, I won't spoil what happens. Yeah, he smokes weed for the first time. <laughs> and like what what he says in that scene is really interesting and like his his performance for one thing but also like just the way he shifts the way his like physicality is and stuff great scene um many great scenes in the film the scene you mentioned this one where she's speaking elizabeth uh, the actress is speaking to the high school like drama class that's a fantastic oh, scene as yeah. well. um so yes many many wonderful scenes added up to one of my very favorite movies of the year may december streaming now on netflix you can watch it right now um and i actually have not seen nearly enough todd haynes films but this one uh i absolutely love so there you go and now it's time for number two what is your number two film of the year number two film is a literary adaptation from the 1970s are you there god it's me margaret Nice. Uh, this is my number one movie halfway through the year. Uh, it's dropped down to number two, but uh, yeah, I, I had a chance to rewatch it uh, probably back in August, I think. But uh, yeah, I mean, it just re-solidified um, how much I love this movie. It, this is another one, just like Poor Things. It really is like, I mean, through and through, like you get so many good laughs from this movie. Like mm, it could almost yeah. be in the comedy uh, you know, category. But uh, I found so much of it absolutely hilarious how it handles, um, you know, the complexities of, of young womanhood and, mm. uh, you know, like just uh, when, when, you know, girls are that age and they're exploring, you know, like boys and their first bra and menstruation and, yeah. and all the things that like, <laughs> I probably sound like super creepy and saying, <laughs> um, but, you know, like. Judy Bloom did such a wonderful job with that book um, and like helping to normalize something that is super normal. Like it happens mm -hmm. to everybody. Like everybody yeah. goes through those, at least every woman goes through those changes. And so many people, at least in this country are shy to talk about those things. And I just thought that this movie um, you know, like captured the spirit, the tone of those books, uh, mm -hmm. of that book so well. And then it weaves in to not only like the, the coming of age story, the beautiful like coming of age story, but it, it starts to tap into uh, the fact that Margaret in the movie is being raised without a religion because her father is Jewish and her mother is Christian. 
So they decide to raise her without religious beliefs and let her find God or, or, you know, kind of explore that aspect of her life on her own and and make her own decisions about it, which is completely like the opposite of my experience with like, you know, my upbringing. Um, And so, you know, like Margaret begins to pray to God. She, she, sporadically as the name of the movie implies she and and in the book she just will start to pray whether she's like wants her her you know her chest to grow or whether she's interested in a boy or she doesn't want her parents to move um you know she's praying to a god that she doesn't know like who she's Mm -hmm. praying to she she doesn't know if he or she or whatever exists not that i guess not that any of us know (laughs) for sure (laughs) but uh but you know like it kind of walks us through her experience with Mm -hmm. that interest um from a completely like what i found to be a fascinating perspective of a child's like kind of introduction to religion and to god yeah um but kelly fremont craig Gosh, she just like wrote and directed the hell out of that movie, and uh, and I really love just like again so many of the moments that it, it is able to capture, um, and I thought that this was such like this is such a good movie for parents that um, especially like mothers, you know, and and uh, parents of of daughters that this could be like a perfect catalyst to open up that conversation. Like in the future, mm-hmm. when you have to talk about those things, sit down and watch that movie with your kids and, and have that discussion. Um, you know, just such a wonderful, tender, uh, you know, just a heartwarming movie if, if there ever was one. The ensemble cast is just, we talk about Rachel McAdams in our in our previous show, uh, but really like the Penny Safdie, Kathy Bates, mm-hmm. um, and... Uh, um, Margaret is Abby Ryder Fortson, Fortson. Um, just fantastic all around performances. And uh, yeah, I mean, right after I watched this movie in the theater, I knew that this was going to be one of my favorite movies of the film of, of the year. It's just so good. I love it so much. <laughs> nice. It did knock down to number two. So I'm fascinated to hear what's number one in a minute here, but, but yeah, I love this film as well. Um, I, I, yeah, I talked about how much I love Rachel McAdams in it. And I think you're right. I think it's a testament. Like it does, it, it feels a little weird. Like we're two middle-aged guys <laughs> talking about this, this book. That's very much about like the puberty of young girls. Um, but it's, I think it's a testament to Judy Bloom and to the writer director here that yeah. like not an experience either of us have had at all, but it, we are so in the emotions of it. And like, I think the performance from, from Margaret is so good, but yeah, like just those scenes where she's, praying again like she's never been to church or synagogue she doesn't have a context really for like what is prayer even yeah. um it's hearing how earnest that is is like so moving every time so yeah i really love that movie as well and, and definitely recommend it also available to stream pretty much everywhere like uh you're at least yeah. stream and then it's uh, Lionsgate, i believe is the distributor so i don't i don't know if Lionsgate is uh they actually might be able to stream on one of the big ones i would have to look that up though real quick yeah i'm not sure either i I think uh i I continue to see some buzz around rachel mcadams in particular and i wonder it'll be she'll be sort of the dark horse like 
left field choice for an Oscar, but I would absolutely think it would be deserving. But I don't know if that'll happen, but I would love it too. Um, yeah, 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 she in on, particular, I think is it is on stars. So if you oh, have the Prime video channels, yeah, you should you should be able to. If, so it should be available if you have Amazon Prime. You should be able to access it. Um, via via that uh, that channel stars all right on to my number two which is spider-man across the spider-verse it's it was number two halfway through the year it's number two again absolutely love this film this is is your chance to uh convince me that it's that it's a superior film to the first one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do think it, I think it builds on the, the first one. Like obviously this couldn't exist without the first one existing. And like the first one broke so many barriers, like visually and like in the storytelling of that was just so uh, fresh and exciting. And honestly, because that one was so good, I was, I just like, wasn't that excited about this. I'm like, I'm going to see it. Like I love the first one so much, but I really, the hype wasn't there for me ahead of this film. Um, but I was just so blown away by it. I think it, it builds on the first one uh like not only so in the first one obviously we have like a few different versions of spider-man if you've seen the trailer for this one you know like that number is ex- exponentially increased there's one sequence in particular where there's just so many spider-man um but but i love the screenplay of this i think more than anything like obviously visually incredible looks like the first one maybe a bit better um and it hits a lot of this, some similar like things that were great about the first one like He's sitting in his room getting lost in the music. There's another scene where he's getting lost in the music in this one that's, that changes up that. And it was so great um, where he's listening to the Hummingbird song um, by James Blake. And I mean, all the music in this, like the score by Daniel Pemberton and the Metro Boomin is like the producer who like got the, the he made this. He, he interestingly, I just learned about Metro Boomin recently. Like he um, is a producer and he makes these albums that are like compilations of a lot of different artists together. So that's what he did for this film. So I think all the songs in this are incredibly good, but the story I think is just so smartly done. Like we get this whole first, like, like preface almost where we hear Gwen's story because she's obviously a big part of the first one, a really big part of this one as well. And so we get to see her story in her universe and like the, the colors and like the animation in her world are different and like, you know, these pastels and it's, it's very like impressionistic. And like, I think the first one was praised a lot because it's doing things with animation that you couldn't really do in live action. And like, yeah. it's really leaning into the animation stuff. And this one that takes that even further. So like they're um, creating Gwen's world, which has all these pastels and just feels so different. And the music feels different when you're there. And then we, her, her, like the first like 40 minutes or something, it's like a long kind of intro section with her. Maybe it's not quite that long, but then we move back to Miles and we see what, what he's going on, uh, what's going on in his life. And his, um, it's, it's really a, a lot of the stories about his relationship with his father and both of his parents, but it, it takes, you know, if you've seen the first one, you know, his, his uncle is a big part of that one. Um, and, and there's sort of a, you know, two different influences on his life, um, but then the Spider-Man stuff happens and he uh, goes to a few other universes and that stuff is all really thrilling. And I love that stuff too. Um, but then it, it really, what I found so moving is like, there is that huge chase sequence, but it's tied to this, this idea of like, there are certain things that happen in the life of every Spider-Man and like you, 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 you can't get away from it. Like you can't avoid, um, if you've seen any Spider-Man movie, you know, there's certain tragedies that happen. Um, 
and we've seen what happens in Gwen's story. Uh, but it's, and I, so I, I, I don't want to spoil kind of some of those things, but he really balks at the idea that he can't write his own story. And I think that, uh, again, this is a one where like, I'm like a, a middle-aged white guy. I'm not a young black man uh, like Miles Morales is. Um, but I, I feel like for any kid, but especially maybe kids of color, again, I don't, I don't know this, <laughs> take this all with a grain of salt of I'm a white guy, mm-hmm. but um, like being like your life has to go a certain way, like having that sort of like your, your life is scripted in a certain way. Um, and so like that is moving on its own. And he's like saying, I, I want to, I'm going to do my own thing. Um, but then again, I'm not going to spoil anything about the ending of this, but there's a whole ending sequence that takes that all and complicates it even further in a way that I thought was so incredible. And, and it's so much about the influence of father figures. Um, and you know, I'm, I think I can confidently say like the, the, like incarceration rates of, of men of color in our country and like what that does for fathers and sons is like, that's a, a, a real, real life stakes in that. And this story is, is using some of that thematic material to tell a really compelling story. And the ending of this film um, takes that to another level that I did not see coming. And I was, and even on rewatch, I've watched it like three times now, this movie still holds up. It's just like the beginning is fantastic. The middle is fantastic. The ending is fantastic. Like I, I think it's just brilliant from start to finish. Uh, I, I, I love animation and that's just one of the most beautiful, beautifully animated films of the year. Um, works on kind of every level for me. I will say the reports came out about like the, the working conditions for the animators on this. And it was terrible. And like, like I think it's part of the strikes. They're like having to renegotiate things. So like that is, that really taints the whole thing. And I, I hate that. And I, I, I believe that they're like fighting for better working conditions for this mm-hmm. third one. But apparently that, that incredible sequence with all the, the spider men took like more than a year to animate and like no weekend breaks. And I, like there, there you can Google and, and find out like things were not great uh, for the animators on this. And um, so it, it's really a case of like, this thing stands on its own and it really is so incredible. And, I hate that that's the, the truth behind it. Um, and I, I really hope that they make enough noise that this changes in the future. It, it's also a situation where back on the story level, like I, I think the ending, even like the very ending of this movie, um, I found really thrilling and it, it really points ahead in some exciting ways. I almost feel like there's no way the third movie is going to like be as good as this. Yeah, it's like there's no way they can pay off. They can't. They can't go bigger. Maybe they can. I'll be amazed if they do. But like that doesn't matter to me. Like it's setting up something, like leaving a, a, a an exciting ending. Cliffhanger, is, yeah. Yeah, it's like it's a bit of cliffhanger. I don't think it's a spoiler to say it's a cliffhanger. They actually, when they first marketed this, called it Across the Spider Verse Part One. Yeah. So there was the understanding that another movie was coming, and it really does. I think that rubbed some people the wrong way who didn't know that it was going to. I didn't know that it was going to be a cliffhanger. We were like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like that final moment is is great, um, but yeah, I I mean I love when something can set up that that exciting of a cliffhanger, yeah. regardless of it can pay it off. I'm just like that was great. So anyway. I could I could say more, but I just really love this movie. Yeah, I I, I liked uh, the the new Spider Verse movie quite a bit. I 
I don't, yeah, you didn't convince me of this better than the original. But, <laughs> but no, I mean, I have to concede that it is um, gorgeous. It is like a stunning movie in pretty much every way visually. Um, the spider, like the, the, the Spider-Man chase sequence with all the different Spider-Man is classic. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like one of the things that like even on, on rewatching is I just started to rewatch like the first half of it the other day. And, uh, and even when he's like in bed and like the things start floating and the, the new song mm-hmm. is playing, I can't remember what it's called, but, um, you know, like it's, it's again, they're, they're trying to recapture the magic from the original because the end of the first one is when he's just laying in bed and sunflower mm-hmm. cues up. And, uh, I think you used it in our mid year podcast review you just said like it's it's just the vibes man it's the vibes (laughs) and uh like the original one um just had that in spades that i never like the second one was like trying to get there for me it just like never quite got it 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 was like it was trying to to do that um but it you know it was like having to up the ante now obviously the Mm -hmm. animation Again, I, I can't really like say that the animation is subpar to the first, but uh, almost like like because because the uncle character in all the Spider-Man movies dies, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Uncle Ben always always uh, you know, that's the Spider-Man story, and so that was kind of like a natural one that happened in the first Spider-Man movie, but of mm-hmm. course in the second one, you know, well that can't we can't just do something like that to create the drama like now we're going to we got to up the ante we'll we'll bring his dad into the picture as far as like threatening that part Mm -hmm. of his of his life and that didn't stick with me as like a natural like Mm. story progression that that rubbed me as like okay that's just we've got to we've got to go bigger and bolder and bring put more at stake type of a calculated decision more than like a natural story progression. If you, if you understand my meaning, but again, like yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to debate with you over the amazingness sure. of the new <laughs> Spider-Man movie. It's, it's, it's freaking excellent. Go watch it. It's, it's a fantastic yeah. movie. And maybe, maybe after the third movie, comes out and like we get the full story and the full picture Mm -hmm. of like everything that you know they had in mind when they're you know making this first one like as the setup maybe Mm -hmm. i'll feel differently about you know the the second one in in its context with you know the original the masterpiece (laughs) (laughs) it really feels like (laughs) the empire strikes back of the trilogy i think because it has that kind of cliffhanger which empire strikes back is my favorite one um but i i so i i did feel like it recaptured the vibes also one other aspect of it is like the the relationship between first of all the relationship between gwen and miles i think is so well done and like like the the you know star cross like they can't be together but they want to like that i think works so great um but then the you know uncle in jeopardy or father's in jeopardy the the gwen story really kind of parallels his in a way that i again i won't want to spoil but like the whole concept of like there's these 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 they call them canon events that like 
it's just part of the Spider-Man story. Yeah. Like it's just, just how it is. And he just like, is not willing to accept that. And I love that some of the characters we've seen before show up and, and speak to that a bit. Um, but, but yeah, the Gwyn and her father, where that story goes, I found incredibly moving as well. Um, and, and ties into that thematically as well. So I just thought all of it worked as a piece and, and yeah, like, the hummingbird song with the floating stuff. I, I love that sequence too. So anyway, it just all really worked <laughs> with me as you can tell, but we will stop talking about Spider-Man cause we've gone too long, yeah, but right. that brings us. Oh, Spider-Man is streaming on Netflix actually. Oh, watch it, it on Netflix and it's on, it's on disc as well. No, yeah. No. They dropped on no, Netflix well, about a week you know, ago. Pretty much anywhere you, you can rent anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's been okay. Time for, Drum roll, da, 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 your number one fo- uh, film of number the year. Number one movie of 2023. You ready to talk about some more Dicks the Musical? Are you serious? <laughs> you would do that. <laughs> um, my number one film for 2023. I've already talked about it a, you know, quite extensively on our film festival podcast, but I'll retouch on it um, a little bit more here. And that is Wim Wenders' film, Perfect Days. Very nice. Um, oh, I love this movie so much. And this is the one that I texted you about not too long ago that I originally had this ranked a little lower. like It, it was like at four or five. Um, but the longer I've had to sit with this movie after I watched it at the Charlotte Film Festival back in late September, like it just like it keeps coming back to my mind. Um, like how much beauty in the simplicity of this movie mm-hmm. uh, that there is, if you're willing to take the time to look for it. Um, the, the basic premise of the story real quick. Um, Hir- Hirayama is the guy's name. He's played by Koji uh, Yakusho, who I nominated for, uh, I think, I think he's either number one or number two. I put him on my ballot for best actor because this guy is incredible, um, but uh, but the film is in all uh, spoken Japanese for the most part, and uh, it tells this guy's story. And the first act is basically just like him going through his daily routine down to its minutest detail, um, over and over. I think it does it at least three times, where we just watch him get up, brush his teeth, uh, water his. He's got a little garden of little trees and uh come outside get himself a a, a, like an iced coffee from a vending machine get in his car head to work uh but we watch him scrub toilets like a lot through the course of the movie and uh that's his job he works for the tokyo toilet company he wears this like blue jumpsuit uh which is kind of like a visual staple through most of the movie Mm -hmm. and uh the the movie um, you know, just kind of reiterates what kind of a life this guy has. He takes his lunch breaks in this little park and he takes pictures of the, the leaves and the trees. Hmm. And then like later on, he kind of sorts through them. He gets them developed and, and just tosses some and he keeps some that he likes and he puts them in like a little file and goes through just like this man's life and how simple it is. But we really get a sense of how at peace this man is with himself and everything about his existence. Like he's not, uh, you know, 
trying to make a million dollars. He's not trying to like, you know, pursue a lot of, you know, things. He doesn't need a new car. He doesn't need this or he doesn't need that. And he just lives a very quiet, simple, peaceful life, but he's so happy. Every morning he gets out, he, he walks out his front doorstep, he looks up in the sky, and he just breathes in fresh air and smiles like to himself. There's nobody else around. And the amount of contentment and peace that I get from just like thinking about this, it just makes me happy. <laughs> but yeah. like this man that Wim Wenders... Uh, you know, has has portrayed in this film. He has so little to his name. Like, he doesn't own a lot of possessions. He, he does a lot of reading, so I guess you could say he has a lot of books and a lot of, like, old cassette tapes. That's about, mm-hmm. like, all, you know, all he has as far as, like, his collections of things. But he has everything that he wants. And just think about being jealous of a man that cleans toilets all day and has virtually nothing, you know, is like such a, like a message that resonated with like every part of my being, like Mm -hmm. just to be so simple and so happy. um, Like I, I cannot wait for that movie to pop up again somewhere, like either to available to rent or to buy. I'm sure it'll probably hit Criterion or something eventually. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm hoping it does. It's, I would love it's to not. I, I think it, watch the special features on that. Starting yeah. to go more into like a theatrical re- release um, schedule, so it's going to start popping up more, I believe. But that is a movie that I'm like desperately excited to revisit because I just I mm-hmm. love that movie so much, and the more that it, you know that I've had time to process it and kind of think about it the more that the themes that Wim Wenders is is um you know working with really uh really spoke to me individually I absolutely love this film too I think that's an incredible choice for your number one I it was a very serious contention for my top 10 list also I watched it pretty late in the in the kind of movie watching cycle and uh was just really taken with it uh, you're right. Like the the amount of contentment he has really just wears off on you as a viewer, and it's like inject that into my veins. It's so good. Yeah. Um, I love the scenes. Like, I mean, he has an epic music collection actually. Like with yeah. these cassettes, like and like the all the he songs. Plays some of like it some of the, as he's driving around. Yeah. House of the Rising Sun. And yeah, like some of the greatest songs ever written. Morrison. He has on cassettes. Oh yeah. I love the scene where like there's like a much younger character that says, "Oh, is it, you think this is on Spotify?" And he's like. <laughs> He says, I've never been to that music store. Where is that? Like, like he doesn't understand the internet. Um, but I mean, yeah, and not to give away anything about the ending, but the there are some, like we, we come to understand that his peace and his contentment are not um, because of a lack of, you know, hardship in his life. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not that he's never known sadness or anything. And so you, you come to understand that like this peace and this contentment is kind of hard earned and yeah. Um, and yeah, just like the routine of it, it really is sort of a, uh, like living, uh, vicariously through him. And again, yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about it in those terms of like, imagine being jealous of this guy who has very little and, and <laughs> works as a janitor, yeah. but like the simplicity and the, the beauty of his life. And like, he appreciates the beauty in the world. Yeah. Um, despite, you know, we, we learn hard things 
some from his past and like yeah. the performance near the end too incredible from him so oh yeah excellent excellent choice love that yeah, film yeah, so that's much the scene. Just, oh, man, that's, yeah if that doesn't get a tear from your eye i don't know what will but yeah so good. man Koji Akusho is, is uh, the actual name. I don't even know if I mentioned him, but yeah, it's, uh, I loved him so much in that movie. Yeah. And so much, I want to say one more thing about it. So much is just so wordless, like in his performance, like yeah. we see the joy in his face and everything. Performance. He doesn't talk very much, but like one of my exactly. favorite things, and he has this coworker who like <laughs> he mostly likes, but it's kind of annoying and like yeah. whatever. Um, but there's a scene where there's a young boy with Down syndrome that just runs up to his coworker and they have this really funny interaction where he's like, this uh, this guy just loves my ears. He's friends with my ears. And I'm just extra. And it's like, he just grabs his ears and it's just this like sweet inter- interaction. And like, he's just driving home from work after witnessing that and just so full of joy thinking yeah. about, like he sees the beauty of that. And um, yeah, like I, I mean, both of my kids have Down syndrome, so I always things, key in. But little yeah. things that he appreciates. The, the, the tic-tac-toe mm. game. Those little yeah, things yeah, yeah, are yeah. just so, oh, God, I love it so much. Oh, love it, love it, love it. Beautiful, beautiful movie. Beautiful movie. All right, it's time for my number one, another drum roll. Uh, I, I people may have guessed what it is because of <laughs> I already interrupted you about it. It is All of Us Strangers right. uh, from director Andrew Haig, who also wrote this, he adapted it from a Japanese novel. And I just knew very little about this movie. I knew I was excited to see it because I love Andrew Scott and I love Paul Mescal, who are the two leads of this. So um, and I really, yeah, I thought it was more going to be focused on the romance uh, between those two, um, which is a, you know, a big aspect of it, like their relationship and, and their conversations they're having. But really it's about a man, Andrew Scott as the lead uh, kind of delving into his own past and, um, I said in the previous episode, it's from the same school of creativity as Petite Maman, where, you know, conversations between people that in the real world shouldn't be able to have conversations. Um, And basically he's revisiting his, his relationship with his parents in uh, a number of scenes. And um, it's just really emotional. Like so many of the scenes were like the most emotional of the year. Like, again, it was one where, like, well, they're not going to top that scene. And then they did. And like, there's so many, so many scenes in it that were so emotional. And um, the other two main actors here, Claire Foy and Jamie Bell play his parents. Uh, all four of the main actors in this incredible um, Andrew Scott, who I, I talked about at length in the previous episode, but you know, I first saw him in Sherlock as Moriarty and then saw him in Fleabag and was like, this guy's incredible. He's also in like 1917. Uh, he's, he's like a soldier in one scene. He's in, he's in quite a few things, but um, he is just so engaging and so watchable. And so, um, I mean, he's perfect in Fleabag. If anyone has seen him in Fleabag as the hot priest, they know the, the power that he has <laughs> over the audience. Like he's uh, just so incredible. And, so the dynamic between him and Paul Mescal is incredibly watchable, but it, it's these scenes with, with him and his parents that are so, um, so well done. There's also like a, a lengthy uh, kind of musical sequence where they're going to a club and um, it just, so it's just like not only those emotional things, but like visually and, and the sound design of this are really well done. Um, the ending surprised me. 
it, it's it's so much about like the experience of being a gay man too, which is interesting. Obviously, not my experience, but um, they're also of different generations, which is fascinating. And like, Paul Mescal's experience with his family has been very different than what we learn about Andrew Scott's. Uh, I should say their characters' names: Adam is Andrew Scott, and Harry is Paul Mescal. Paul Mescal's performance is so incredible too. Like he's doing some incredible work in this. Um, it just, it, it worked on every level. And, and sometimes when a movie has a great script, it's like, it doesn't quite hit visually or with some of the technical things that this one does for me too. Um, and just completely surprised me and, and blew me away. All of us strangers absolutely love it. Yeah. Great movie. Uh, my number eight, I, yeah, I mean like, uh, the direction from and the screenplay from uh, from Andrew Haig was just great stuff. Uh, as the film explores those themes of loneliness and homosexuality, and mm-hmm. and the two men like have such a great chemistry. Uh, Scott and Mescal are so fantastic together in all their scenes. Um, but yeah, the the one thing that held me back from like really loving this movie was. The ending which we can't discuss like at all mm. uh this movie isn't i don't even know if it's wide in theaters yet i don't think, I think it's going to be like end of january it's it's hitting theaters exactly like i think it's going to start a limited release soon because it's it's you know it's this year's movie uh and it'll be you know under for uh, oscar contention for this year but uh i don't think it's going wide for a while so but yeah um needless to say like the the movie does start to weave some like fantastical elements into it um into Mm -hmm. you know the the latter part of the first act you don't really kind of you start to lose your grounding with the film Mm -hmm. um and you're not positive of like what's reality and what's not and the film flirts with that through you know, some of the, some of the, you know, the duration of the runtime. Um, and then the, the ending, I, it, it, uh, let's just say like, I could kind of see where it was headed and I really didn't want them to go there and they did it. Anyway. Mm. And, and <laughs> not only did they like do that, uh, not only did, did they go where I didn't want them to go, but then they used that as kind of like a, a reframing device for the film mm-hmm. and that really kind of didn't sit that well with me i didn't i i wasn't on board with that ending as much as i would have liked to have been i, I i'm not gonna you know not say that that's not an incredible film that like had me like crying <laughs> when yeah. that, when when he hugs his dad in the one scene yeah it's just oh goodness gracious it's so incredible and there's just so many of those scenes like you mentioned throughout the runtime um but yeah not everybody will be pleased with the you know the the (laughs) finale but uh so much of that film uh like i mentioned the themes and the moments that it's able to capture uh, are are Mm -hmm. just some incredible pieces of cinema from from you know the entirety of this your film uh that's got some pretty exceptional and uh sensational stuff in it yeah totally agree i think i i the the ending and and kind of what you're referencing is it 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 is 
it's it's one of those movies where it's like, okay, I don't quite understand what's going on. It, I'm sure it's going to explain it in a few minutes. And it kind of does. Like, I just imagine I haven't watched this with my wife, but she would be like, wait, what's going on? I'll be like, just wait. It's going to sort of explain it. <laughs> but really it doesn't all the, for all the things. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and I think that for me, that's kind of exciting because it, it kind of like says, okay, the construction of this is not exactly the point. Like, um, but, but it's still, I, I'm okay with the movie leaving me with my head scratching. In fact, I kind of like it okay. when it's, it's not, I don't think it's out of laziness uh, on the screenplays part or anything like that. That's the reason for that kind of thing. Um, but, but yeah, the ending I did not see coming at all. Maybe we can talk about it when we're not recording yeah. uh, and talk spoilers a little bit with it. But yeah, this movie just completely blew me away. I haven't seen, I don't think any of Andrew Haig's other films. He's made a lot of movies about kind of the gay experience. Uh, Weekend is his other kind of most prominent one. Oh, yeah. He made Lean on Pete a few years ago. I missed uh, movie 45 years. I haven't seen that either. And then he, uh, the, there's a TV show called Looking and then there's Looking the movie, which is an HBO series with Jonathan Groff, which I've wanted to watch for a while and I've heard is really good, but this is my first Andrew Haig thing. So I, I really got to yeah. catch up on some other things, but uh, really, really loved it. So here's my movie of the year. Great one. Um, we've gone a long time on this show, so we can go through the next couple things quickly, but I did want to mention a few, I've kind of talked a few things that I regretfully have not seen yet this year that are kind of heavy hitters that I wish I would have made time for, but just couldn't. Uh, I haven't watched the color purple yet. I've heard it's incredible. Um, Iron Claw, we mentioned, I never caught up with Ryan Lane or a thousand and one when evil lurks. I think we talked about that one on the previous episode, but I've heard that's really good. I didn't see air. I know some people really love that movie. Um, Napoleon fallen leaves, a fire, the Christian Petzl. Film. Oh, that's on my list um, to watch too. So I haven't watched Ferrari or uh, I really wanted to watch Royal Hotel as well and haven't caught up with it yet. So all of those I think I would like, but I haven't seen yet. So <laughs> there's that. Uh, anything on, on that list for you you want to mention? Um, I've gotten to watch most everything that I wanted to see uh, at this point. I, I still have to watch The Teacher's Lounge. I didn't watch Nyad. Mm, yeah. I didn't see Next Goal Wins. But uh, uh, evil does not exist. I don't even know if that's getting a release this year. I got no. I've gotten to watch most everything. I knocked out a good chunk of my list, uh, and we've mentioned most everything. Like going through like honorable mentions, we've covered pretty yeah. much everything in like my eleven through almost thirty. <laughs> um, nice. We've mentioned at least at some point. Saltburn was my number 11, so I'll give that an honorable mm, mention nice. shout, shout out just because I had so much fun with that movie. But in the end, like it didn't have like the deep resonating themes of Promising Young Woman. Yeah. It's just kind of a just a schlocky fun, just, boy, yeah. this is a wild <laughs> movie that is not pulling any punches. Uh, but yeah, yeah, a lot of great movies, a lot of good stuff to see. Hope you guys totally have agree, watch yeah. some of them. Yeah, me too. I, I have a couple of like, kind of runners up here, things that like were almost on my list. Perfect Days was one that was right outside. Um, Suzume, I still really loved. I got to watch most of that a second time and, and still really connected with it. Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. Big fan of as well. Killers of the Flower Moon I thought was great. Yeah. Didn't make my list, but it was in contention. Still really love You Hurt My Feelings. Uh, just a surprise and one of the, the a very pleasant surprise for, from this year. Uh, and I have fair play on here. I thought it was really good. Saltburn as well. 
Um, and then one off, I think you maybe haven't seen is Dream Scenario, nope. a very kind of recent one, film yeah. with Nicolas Cage. Yeah. That film, I'll just say briefly, like I really was more impressed with it than I expected to be. Yeah. And as far as like films that made me um, feel incredibly depressed, <laughs> it's way up there. <laughs> like I had to, I was planning to watch another movie after that. And I was like, I have to go home and hug my kids now. I can't, <laughs> like, I, I, like the ending, it's a dark comedy, but it, I just wasn't prepared for how dark, um, but also really funny. Uh, so if anyone's like on the fence about that, I do recommend Dream Scenario. I think it's really good. Um, and now I think we should check in on our, wager so wait what's our final count was it three overlap was three you got it i win this year zone of interest all the strangers and past lives great movies go Go watch them when they become available or whenever you get a chance the reason i almost said four was because i thought you might have poor things on yours but no uh, it was it was a little lower i mean i respected the hell out of that movie it was at 15 but didn't quite as soon as i watched it i was like and this is really great stuff, but just the weirdness of it all set it back a couple yeah. of notches. Whereas like some of the yeah. other movies, like I t- explained earlier that are a little more grounded, like the Priscilla's and the society of the snow yeah. and claw that I like, like watching real people kind of hits yeah. me a little bit differently than the completely fantastical stuff. But, yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. I respect that. Everybody loves their own yeah. things. I'm all about the weird stuff. The weird <laughs> stuff. I like it. Well, exactly. Yes. We can, uh, I think wrap things up there. We've been talking a long time. Thank you so much, Russell, for making the time for this. Uh, I think it's been a really good year for movies. I feel like I say Great that every stuff. year, but, um, some really good stuff on both of our lists. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a movie on your list that I dislike. So yeah, very nice. Um, cool. All right. Well, tune in next year everyone and we'll keep talking movies um as you know oscars approach there i i plan to probably some of the things we talked about on these couple episodes i'm going to do more in-depth discussions on like, i think i'm gonna do boy in the heron episode um and probably some more things like that so stay tuned for upcoming episodes but for now yes. we will say yeah oh yeah and uh, russell and i are going to sundance for the first time which is exciting i'm really excited for that yeah. so we'll definitely be doing, talking just about movies. a month well in a month we'll be there one month yeah about a month we'll be there i don't know if we're going to record on the ground there or just afterwards or what but we're going to definitely do some sundance talk and uh see some exciting movies there so oh, yeah. stay tuned for all that and uh i guess we can say bye-bye for now to russell and thank you for all of your time and your wonderful cinematic thoughts Thank you so much to Russell. He puts so much time into these episodes and I really, really appreciate him. Stay tuned into the new year. Award season is still going strong. So I'll be talking about some more awards contenders in the coming weeks. And with that, thank you so much for listening to Art House Garage. We have a few years worth of episodes. You can hear all of those in your podcast app of choice. Our theme music is by composer Paul Hunefeld. Learn more at appallingproductions.com. If you want to support Art House Garage, become a patron over at patreon.com slash arthousegarage or find a link in the show notes. You can also buy an Art House Garage t-shirt at arthousegarage.com slash shop. If you want to support us without spending any money, leave a rating or review in your podcast app, and that is hugely helpful. Stay in the loop about Art House Garage and the films we're covering. 
by subscribing to our email newsletter at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe, or you can email me directly, andrew at arthousegarage.com. And of course, follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Just search at Arthouse Garage in all those places or find links in the show notes. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you again so much for listening. And until next time, keep it snob free. 